The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest crews, to the backwoods swamp where you hit the bottom, from the inside of your casket to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. This is Joey Marsacci from the Curioporium in Hartford, Connecticut, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Mark Muncie from the Erie, Florida book series, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey, this is Jeff Robertson from Skeletons for St. Jude, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> this is Chris Drahan from Screenfest Studios. We are located in Spring Lake, North Carolina. You are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey, this is Stevie from the band Beyond Silence, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Stephanie Freeze from Carolina Fear Fest, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Greetings, listeners. Boy, are you in for quite a mythic adventure on this episode of The Big Scary Show. Badger's going to get things started with Deadline News, giving you all the events, happenings, and headlines for the haunt industry. He's also going to come at you from the floor of the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh. He's going to talk to the organizers, um, Skeletons for St. Jude, Haunters Against Hate, Scares of Care, Beyond Silence, and more. So some great things coming out of that show this week. Also, Meat Hook Jim is back from Between the Corpses, and he's going to tell you about the Bog People. And let's not forget Jonah, the old crone, has a question being answered for you about security. And uh, Haunt Minute, well, I, I just might feature some absolutely depressing information and realization on sequels. Yay! But the big thing to be excited about this episode is, of course, the Roundtable of Terror, where we're going to talk cryptids. No, not the fake money at celebrities were selling you during the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, cryptids, those 
lore and monsters that you hear stories about, how they can be better for your haunt than, you know, some of the other things uh, Hollywood has going on. And we're going to talk to Joey Marsacci of the Cryptoporium and Mark Munchy, author turned haunter, about cryptids how they can be used for your haunt effectively, the stories they can bring up, and just a great conversation. We all know that I have fun with them. Go Chupacabras! We have the gruesome giveaway, some awesome, awesome music this week, and all kinds of great fun and surprises in store for you on this, the 264th episode of Big Scary Show. And it's coming at you right now. The Midwest Haunters Convention returns to Chicago for a weekend of spooky thrills, chills, and fun. Join fellow haunters from all over as they descend on the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont, June 11th and 12th. There will be vendors, classes, workshops, seminars, a tour of the 13th floor haunted house, and don't forget the famous MHC costume ball. Don't forget the pre-convention haunted house bus tour on June 10th as they visit the Massacre, Basement of the Dead, Evil Intentions, and Disturbia Haunted Houses. These tours are legendary, and you should register today. Sign up for classes, buy tickets, and get more info for the 2022 Midwest Haunters Convention returning to Rosemont, Illinois, June 11th and 12th at MidwestHauntersConvention.com. That's MidwestHauntersConvention.com. Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off-limits to man. Forbidden World. Touch down on Forbidden World, where explorers discover an unimaginable horror. Part alien, part human, all nightmare. It lives on Forbidden World, and next it's coming for you. Forbidden World, a science fiction shocker. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We're in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Carolina Fear Fest. I'm standing in front of the ScreamFest Studios booth with Chris Strahan. Used to have a big home haunt, now is so busy, He all he does is make stuff now. Chris, how you doing? Man, I am, this show is great. Uh, a lot of people showing up, great turnout, great sales, uh, a lot of great people here. We love doing this. This is our third year here and uh, we're hoping to see more folks like you come out to this oh, show. Oh, push Shaw. Well, I think it's only the third year they've had it, so... This is. Technically, year you're, yeah. you're not wrong. So tell us about Screamfest Studios. I mean, you've got these fantastic tombstones here. you got a lot of headstones, some signage, this this tree thing over here that's just eerie-looking as all get-out. You make all this stuff at your house, correct? Yes, I do. I actually do it on half the garage. i got to give my half to the other, to my better half, yeah, my okay, wife, you yeah. know. But yes, we all build this by hand. Uh, it has been... Uh, accumulation of wealth of knowledge that I've gained over the last 14 years from having a home haunt of having tombstones that we can put out in the weather in North Carolina because in North Carolina what happens every Halloween we have bad weather so we've got to have some displays we can put out that we can leave out and not have to worry about bringing in every other day of the week 
because it just gets destroyed by the weather. So yeah, North Carolina in October is a real crapshoot sometimes. It is absolutely horrible. Uh, as far as years go, over 14 years, I think probably half of them we had some degree of severe weather where we had to pull stuff in, cancel the haunt, redirect to the next day, something. There's always weather somewhere. So tell me about the tombstones. What are you making them with, and how are they holding up in all the weather and stuff like this? I love the one with the moss over here. That's fantastic. Right. Yep. The glowing skull eyes over here, the the ones with several different movie characters. How, how are you doing? Are you doing this with a machine? Are you doing it by hand? It, How's it done? You bet. So originally, they are made from a builder's foam material. Um, in several years past, we always used to use like a Dremel tool, and we would carve them out by hand, but... Because of the time that it takes, we've upgraded to a nice new CNC machine nice. that helps us out. gets a little bit better detail and speeds the process up. So we actually will get these things weather ready. We have it to where you can put a piece of rebar in the ground. You drop this uh, stone over that since we put a piece of PVC drive in it. Drop it over it. These things are weather protected. We've got flex seal on the bottom, so it's rubberized coating. No weather's going to get up into the stone in any way, shape, or form. We put a concrete-like texture on the outside along with a dry lock material so you can leave these things out. The only time you really ever have to bring them in is when we have a hurricane, which, as <laughs> which we, all we know, have hap- happened. happened. That is true. It yep. has happened in October. Indeed. So, <laughs> uh, And we do all kinds of custom orders for people. We've done signs, uh, obviously tombstones for several haunts we've made things for specifically. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's been accumulation of wealth of knowledge over the years on what works and what doesn't. Uh, to get these people some decorations that will actually last. They if, hold up extremely well. I think we've had some hold up for at least 15 years with no damage to it. If I was to bring you, say, a logo or a photograph or something like that, is that something you could put on the CNC and duplicate that, or is that something that's too complicated for it? Oh, no, by all means. Uh, logos are really easy to go with just because generally it's already in electronic format. Photographs... Uh, they had a little bit more of a challenge, but are certainly not impossible to do. And that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is people will either have a logo or have an idea of what they want. They may have an image or a specific theme, and we can build it to their specifications. Uh, so that, that gives us a, a slight advantage, especially on custom work for people who are willing to spend the money to get a, a really nice sign or something. Uh, in fact, you can look at Drop Dead Design Studios as an example. Their sign was built by me. Oh, it's their nice. logo, and they have a nice new professional sign that doesn't weigh 500 pounds, <laughs> and they can put up anywhere they want to from show to show. Including so, this one. Including this one, you bet. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, we've, uh, we've really enjoyed being able to do that custom work and can work almost with anything, and that's the great part about it. We're not limited by uh, what my little hand on a Dremel can do anymore. <laughs> So for people wanting more information, I assume you ship everywhere. We do, although ironically enough, it's harder to ship larger items nowadays, but we can ship absolutely to anywhere. And, of course, you can find us at ScreenFestStudios.com. Of course, visit our Facebook page at Facebook slash ScreenFestStudios. ScreenFestStudios.com. Chris Strahan, I hate that you closed your home haunt after 14 years, but I am really happy that you've been able to make another business doing all this stuff. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Check all this stuff out, guys. If you have custom work and you want it on a tombstone, it's fantastic work. And from what I understand, somebody literally just walked in here and said, I want that, 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 and that. That is correct. We had some of our biggest pieces go out the door in uh, record time in the first couple hours. I lost all my big stuff. So that's all right. I'll be more than happy to lose more of it in that regard. (laughs) Yeah, what a horrible problem to have. I know. It it just stinks. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're having a great time here at the Carolina Fear Fest, as am I. My name is Drew Badger for The Big Scary Show.
and we're out. Cool. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it. Creature Feature, American Gothic, on The Big Scary Show.
Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com. Music by Midnight Syndicate. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here for the Big Scary Show at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina, my old hometown. Hanging out with all the cool kids, checking out a few celebrities here and there. Saw this man many, many years ago, I believe at a show in Kentucky. Talked to him then, he is here in Raleigh. Mr. Stephen Williams, you might remember him from one of the myriad Friday the 13th films. He's been in 21 Jump Street, many, many different TV roles. How are you, Mr. Williams? I'm better than most, not as good as some. (laughs) (laughs) It is Sunday morning, and I'm sure the festivities have been long and taxing for some of us. It's draining, it's draining, but it's wonderful to see all these people come out, uh, to see all the the stars here, Um, and the merchandising, the merchandising. Merchandising. Come on on down, this is the last day. Come on down, buy something. (laughs) It's been fabulous. It's been fabulous. This is my first time to North Carolina, and um, I'm always fascinated to go to new places, see new people, you know, do new things. So it's been a ball. Have you had a chance to sample North Carolina barbecue yet? No, I did. Uh, I don't know if, the, if the, is Ruth Chris. There's Ruth Chris Steakhouses in North Carolina. In North Carolina, oh, yeah. yeah, that's about the only thing I've done. No, I've not had a chance to, to sample the the North Carolina ribs yet. We can consider that an endorsement, and we'll keep that endorsement proudly. <laughs> so what brings you, besides the convention here, it's your first time in North Carolina, and um, you know, when people are coming up and talking to you, you, you've done so many different things. Being that it's a horror-related con, are they asking you more about Friday the 13th or other roles? What, what have most people been buying pictures of and, and asking you questions about? You know, well, it's really strange. I think a great deal of people, all the new television shows that I've done, People remember me from 21 Jump Street, of course. That's, you know, way back. One of the most popular shows around is Supernatural. Yes. Um, they loved it. I loved working in Supernatural. They loved that. Another very popular show is uh, Yellowstone. You know, so people are very interested in me via Yellowstone. Uh, but like you said, I've been around for something like 50-something years, man. So you can name it, I'm probably in it. <laughs> you don't look a day over 55, but, you know. 
That's, I love you. Let's go to dinner. <laughs> we'll go find some barbecue. But my daughter just wrapped up watching the entire series of Supernatural. Wow. And, of course, she loved it. So knowing that DJ Qualls and that you were going to be here, yeah, she was DJ like. Is right next to me. DJ is sitting right next to me. <laughs> and I'm sure that you guys have reminisced a little bit about working with some of those. Did you have any idea when you started with Supernatural that it was going to grow up to be like the cult phenomenon that it is becoming? I mean, they've got Supernatural conventions going on these days. Oh, My goodness. It's, it's, it's insane. They've done so well, and of course not. Uh, most actors, you know, that's a question that's asked of people of a successful show. And no, none of us ever know. You know, there's no way to ever predict what's going to happen with a television show, how long it's going to run, how popular it's going to be. You know? And we're just thankful that it runs as long as it runs. At the time, it's just work, and At then the it time, just kind of develops into something yeah. more. Yeah, now it's developed into almost a cult. And you know, sort of like, um, like Star Trek and Star Wars <laughs> and, and, you know, these kind of things. And Supernatural became one of those. And, you know, when you have your own convention dedicated to that show, you know you've hit it big. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's so much fun to go to those. Haven't been to one of those in a while, but it is so much fun. Because the fans come out like gangbusters for that show. But you can't deny, too, that already successful Friday the 13th series, when you signed up for that, you knew that was something big. Yeah, you already knew. You already knew. And this was supposed to be the final one I did was supposed to be, you know, the final Friday. Aren't Jason they all goes though? Right, right. right. And on, at man. the end of the movie, you see Freddy's hand come up, grab the mask. You know, sequel, <laughs> sequel. You know, there's going to be another Cha-ching. one. Cha-ching. You know, there's even been rumors of um, Adam Marcus, who directed, the, you know, my uh, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, has written the script. I hear that he's trying to sell. Uh, for any of you uh, producers out there, uh, starring Crichton Duke, Ooh. you know, as uh, they're going to tell the story of Crichton Duke, the bounty hunter. That would be, like, terrific. Just do it before he gets too old. As I said, you don't look a day over 55. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so do you have appearances coming up at uh, conventions anytime in, say, the next few months where fans can talk to you I, about Supernatural, 21 Jump Street, or any of the other things? I don't know. Um... I think there is one. Is there one happening in Kentucky? Yes. Like at the end of July? Uh, yeah. I, it, oh, Virginia. That's what it is. Virginia. Oh, Thank scares the care is at the end of Virginia. Or end of in, July in Virginia. In so I think so. I'm scheduled for that one. Excellent. I'm I believe they're here. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And you know, these things always contingent on whether or not I'm working uh, a, a film project or not. Sure. Uh, but I think I am scheduled for the one at the end of July in Virginia. The the life of an actor is always fraught with uncertainty, I have Absolutely. to imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. We never know where our next dime is coming from. And, you know, unless you happen to be an A-lister. <laughs> quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Stephen Williams, is there any way that people can follow your career? Do you have a website, social media, where people can maybe find your upcoming convention appearances or check out projects you may be working on? Actually, I do not. There is an Instagram page um, that's being ran by a friend of mine. I, I live in the 18th century, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just do not do social media. Hey, you're probably wiser uh, I'm, for that. I'm an old-timer. I'm an old-timer. But there is an Instagram page out there. And you just gave me an idea because I don't think we ever really post appearances on that page you're welcome sir yeah so thank you uh, yeah i will post that and, will and post i'm that. sure your fans will be very thankful to find that so Terrific. so search for stephen williams the actor on instagram and hopefully you'll see some uh, upcoming convention appearances yeah, yeah maybe i'll get involved with my own instagram page 
<laughs> and and just before we started this, I believe you said there was a couple of uh, possible uh, film projects you would be working on, not just the uh, possible. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things I've just finished uh, come out. Uh, there's going to be a little mini series called Waco: The Aftermath. Um, uh, I've just finished that. I don't know when it's going to air. Is that the David Koresh? Yeah, story? the David okay. Koresh story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and what happened there in Waco? Um, I'm also recurring in All Rise, the TV series All Rise. I'm recurring in that. So just keep your eyes and ears open. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> we got to love that. Stephen Williams, has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you here on The Big Scary Show. I wish you, again, more success with that. Keep up with the TV series. And, hey, like we said, work is work, and we're glad you are working. Well, thank you, <laughs> sir. And boo! <laughs> boo! I- I'm terrified now. Once again, folks, thank you, Stephen Williams, for coming out to the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina. My name is Drew for The Big Scary Show, and we're out. All righty. That was thank a lot of fun. Sir. Greetings, listeners, listeners, and welcome. welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. torso. It's time time for Between between the the corpses. Corpses. Hello, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And on this episode of Between the Corpses, we are proceeding with the bog bodies of Denmark. Of the hundreds of bog bodies recovered, some give remarkable insight into the victim's prehistoric lifestyle, but we cannot be sure whether they were murdered or sacrificed or why. Retrieved from the acidic peat soil of Toland Fen, Denmark in 1950, Tolan man was so well preserved it seemed he had died scant months beforehand. The irony is that we know that how a great deal about this man. His looks, clothing, the way he was strangled, and even the wild seed porridge that was his last meal, yet still do not know why he was killed. Hundreds of similar bodies have been uncovered all over northern Europe. The Roman historian Tacitus believe bog burial was a peculiar kind of punishment to make examples of cowards, deserters, and homosexuals. But whatever the accuracy of this theory, it's not the only explanation. While some victims appear to have gone calmly and quietly to their deaths in a manner reminiscent of religious ritual, others were treated in a brutal fashion. The trick lies in distinguishing those who were executed from those who were willingly sacrificed. During the European Iron Age, approximately 2,000 years ago, cremation was the usual funerary arrangement. It therefore follows that bodies placed in boggy or watery areas were being marked out as special in some way. Lakes and rivers were considered the dwelling places of gods and offerings of metal objects and weaponry have been recovered from some of these sacred places in large numbers. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the most outstanding finds is the Gunderstrup Cauldron, a highly ornate silver bowl probably fashioned around 200 BC in southeastern Europe. The cauldron has 13 panels, each decorated with a Celtic deity encircled by a mythological animals 
and various scenes of sacrifice. It had been deliberated it had been deliberately buried in the bog at Gunderstrup, Denmark, close to the bodies of two women and a man. But how it arrived in the area and why such a valuable possession was cast away will never be known. Among the most violent bog body deaths was the was that inflicted on Denmark's Holdramos woman around A.D. 100. She was hacked with swords and had her right arm completely severed. The Grabal man, also Denmark, A.D. 310, died with his throat slit ear to ear, while Lindo man, Cheshire, England, A.D. 200, had been clubbed on the head, garroted, and wounded to, in the throat. Other victims were probably drowned, held underwater by executioners wielding forked sticks. The fact that women and even adolescent girls were being sent to the bogs strongly suggests a sacrificial element. The 14-year-old Windeby girl, northern Germany, AD 1, had been blindfolded with the left side of her head closely cropped before she was killed. The Yied girl, Holland, AD 1, also had her head partially shaved, but died a much more violent death by strangulation, perhaps indicating she was a criminal. Well, that's a little bit weird with these bog bodies, but we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Hello everyone, Drew Badger here. We're live at the Carolina Fear Fest. We're hanging out and visiting and seeing all sorts of folks and you know, I love this convention because it brings out all the good people, and one of the best people I know in this industry runs a very, very popular charity event, Scares That Cares. We've had many, many mentions about them on the show. We've had this man on the show several, several times. I know he hates talking about himself, but we're going to do it again anyway. Mr. Joe Ripple from Scares That Cares, which is a convention in Williamsburg, Virginia, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Drew. Thank you. You know, we had you on the air a few weeks back talking about, you know, the recipients that your charity helps. You, you select three families and you donate an amount of money to them after all the bills are paid from your event. And you, you just have the money that goes directly to them, which is a fantastic thing as opposed to just giving it to a large organization and all. And uh, how have uh, ticket sales and things for Scares That Cares coming up in Williamsburg, Ben, and what are the dates and all the uh, who, what, where, when, and why? Well, the dates are July 29th through 31st. It's at the Double Tree by Hilton, Williamsburg. Uh, ticket sales are going great. Um, everybody's really, really excited to come back to the event. Um, we've also uh, slated uh, a second show next year, uh, AuthorCon 2. Yeah, we, we talked about AuthorCon yep. before, and I was going to ask you the next question, how yeah. that went. And... Uh, so we put up the tables for AuthorCon, thinking that we were going to be just in one ballroom. Uh, those tables sold out in 33 minutes. So now we've expanded out and we're overtaking the whole the whole conference center as well as the ballroom, much like we do for Scares of Care Weekend. So everything has been going great. Uh, we're just really excited to, to you know, get the shows up and running and, you know, just have a great time helping people. Now, AuthorCon is a little bit different because it's not really a horror-type event. It is an author event. A lot of them write horror and mystery and scary stuff and all that, but 
Is it open to other genres, or do you try to keep it within that, that field? It's absolutely open up to everybody who is an author, who has a published work. Uh, publishers themselves are welcome to join us. Um, and, you know, it's what, when people say what's the difference between the two events, I have two comparisons. The first one is Scares the Care Charity Weekend is kind of like having a convention at a state fair. Author, Ironically enough, author, we're on the NC State Fairgrounds. Right. And AuthorCon is kind of like having a convention in a library. So it's more of a networking event uh, for publishers and authors than it is. Now, we do allow attendees to come in and buy books, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's more so for the authors to be able to network, get to know each other, take classes, things like that. But people certainly can come in and buy books. Um, but, again, just like with any of our other shows, all the net proceeds go to families in need. Do they go to the same three families, or will AuthorCon, if it gets as big as Scares of Care, have an additional set of families that they may be helping instead? Well, the, 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 the goal of any charity is to grow to where you can help more people. So, you know, it might be a situation to where we expand to four or maybe five families a year instead of just three. Um, but that's all to be determined. You know, we don't want to put the cart before the horse and say, yes, we can do this, and then it fails. So one of those situations where we just hope for the best and see what happens. And, you know, you mentioned the Double Tree in Williamsburg, which no doubt is sold out at this point, but there is a website out there or some groups on Facebook and things where people who cancel find roommates and exchange rooms and all. Do you ever see that moving to a larger area because that area, that hotel keeps getting sold out literally within an hour of the hotel becoming available? Well, what we have to look at is we have to look at logistics. So the reason why we like Williamsburg is because there are myriad options for people to do. You have Bush Gardens Williamsburg, which is a quarter mile down the street. You have Virginia Beach, which is an hour and a half away. You have the historic triangle of Jamestown, Yorktown, and Williamsburg. So we really like the area, and yes, the hotel sells out relatively quickly, but there's also a bunch of other hotels that are really close by. So moving out of the area, we get a very, very good deal. We have a very, very good relationship with that hotel. Uh, it would take a lot for us to move out of there. Uh, and we like our show. You know, everybody's saying, you know, you should bring in bigger names or bigger guests. And well, with bigger names and bigger guests, come bigger guarantees and bigger problems. You've so. had some pretty big guests over the years. So, I mean, you know, all the guests you, you that we, I, I look at all the guests as being exactly the same. They're coming there to help families in need. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Absolutely. So, but as far as moving, I, I, I don't see that in a foreseeable future. Not necessarily moving out of the area, but say moving from a hotel to maybe a civic or convention center type thing. Uh, it's possible, but again, you know, like I said, the hotel really does bend over backwards to help us out. Uh, the hotel staff loves us there. They all dress up. They, <laughs> decorate, they decorate the hotel for the event. Um, you know, they turn the bar area into the morgue. And, you know, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful event. And I would hate to sacrifice that for the sake of perhaps trying to make some more money. Sure. Totally understandable. And you can't forget the salad water. Everybody loves that. Salad water's a must. <laughs> Fantastic. So for people wanting information, like, like he said, if you're in the Tidewater, Virginia area, maybe you're going to Virginia Beach or want to go to Bush Gardens or anything, make several days out of it, not just with this convention. 
those dates again and the websites where people can get information and of course make a donation and do you have five dollar donation days coming up anytime soon uh, yes we do have some five dollar donation days coming up soon all the information can be found on our website at scaresthatcare.org once again it's scaresthatcare.org and then they can click on each event whether it be AuthorCon or Scares the Care Charity Weekend to find out more information. The dates of the Scares the Care Charity Weekend are July 29th through 31st. Do you have a date of the next $5 donation day, which is literally people donating $5 to the event? Uh, not off the top of my head okay. because I'm old. <laughs> yeah. Join the club. But anyway, <laughs> but again, folks, scaresthatcare.org, a fantastic event. The Big Scary Show supports them 104%. So go, if you have the opportunity, get a hotel somewhere, come into the event, you'll have a fantastic time. AuthorCon is usually in the spring, I assume it'll be in the spring of 23. Yes, sir, that'll be uh, April 1st through 3rd. Okay, fantastic way to spend your April Fool's Day, going to talk to a bunch of bookheads, like myself, who love to read. So once again, Joe Ripple, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us here at the Big Scary Show. Hopefully, it will be as successful, if not more, than it has in years past, and we see Scares the Care continue to grow. Thank you very much, Drew. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. My name is Drew Badger for the Big Scary Show here at the Scares That Cares, I'm sorry, Carolina Fear Fest. Chair- at the Scares That Care booth. At the Scares That Care booth at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we're out. It's been a long day. <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let dark imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. Hello everyone, this is Drew Badger, this is Deadline News for episode 264, and we're going to start off with some hiring news from Gore Galore. This comes to us via Kevin Alvey. We're now hiring for a full-time position at Gore Galore here in Cynthiana, Indiana. A local person is preferred. We have a casting position available. It It will require training, and there is heavy and awkward lifting. This is not a job for the faint of heart. We don't have air conditioning, and it is a tough, dirty job. You will be mixing foam and applying it into giant molds, removing things from the mold, washing, trimming, and patching, casting prior to heading to the paint department. You will be helping to create monsters for theme parks and haunted attractions all over the world. We need an excited, reliable person for this job. Please send a private message for more details. You should be able to send that message to them on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash gorgalore or facebook.com slash Kevin R. Alvey. That's A-L-V-E-Y. We have this update from Haunt X in Pomona, California. If it's haunted and Halloween, it's here. Haunt X, happening June 11th and 12th, is a Haunters and Halloween DIY Trade Expo for haunt and Halloween enthusiasts, yard haunters, home haunters, and pro haunters. Haunt X takes place at the Fairplex in Pomona, California. 
Hauntex features more than 120 vendors and exhibitors, instructionals to boost your knowledge, speaker panels from people in the industry, and presentations from guests you may or will now get to know. Along with that, we also have DIY workshops both Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday's Expo Day is followed by our annual Asylum Costume Party featuring a live DJ, bar, food, and door prizes. Get more information at hauntx.com. We have this news from the spirit of Halloween Town in St. Helens, Oregon. Well, the time has come. If you've been waiting to see who is attending this year at Spirit of Halloween Town so you can book plane flights, our basic attraction schedule is up. We will keep this up to date, and as more things are added, you'll know. Tickets for celebrity appearances will be up next week, and right now you can see the basics by visiting us at spiritofhalloweentown.com and click on the ticket page to read all about it. Get your tickets now and make your plans. We have a little music news from Wednesday 13. To my UK fans, I'm sorry to announce that I will have to cancel our appearance at the Download Festival this year. I tore my bicep last year and never had corrective surgery. I re-injured it again and unfortunately it's causing so much pain and discomfort, I need to have this corrected immediately. Canceling a show like this is not an easy decision, but I want to be able to give the best performance I can. I'll need to take the summer off to heal up, but we'll be back on the road in September through December and have a new album coming out in October. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Wednesday. Keep up with updates at officialwednesday13, that's the number 13.com. We have this news from Frightmare Farms in Palermo, New York. The event that sells out every year is back. Summer Screams returns June 17th and 18th. As darkness falls, the house comes alive with a jam-packed special Lights Out Fear event. Don't wait to book your spot. Tickets are limited, but the screams are unlimited at this once-a-year intense event. Get tickets and more information at... FrightmareFarmsNY.com We have a little more hiring news, this time from Not Scary Farm in Buena Park, California. Join us! We're looking for monsters to join the madness of our 49th Not Scary Farm event. Auditions will be held in person on June 25th and 26th. Performers must be at least 18 years of age. All individuals who would like to attend must submit an application in advance on our website to book their audition reservation. For more information and to apply, visit jobs.cedarfair.com. And finally, we have this update from Raven's Grin Inn in Mount Carroll, Illinois. We wanted to update a bit on things to make this announcement. We will start to open back up in June with the hourly rentals and hide-and-seek with the regular tours starting back later this summer. The cost for the hourly rentals and hide-and-seek is $10 a person per hour. We are removing the minimum requirements for this for now, so all group sizes are welcome. In order to make sure we are starting up slowly, reservations will be required at least 24 hours in advance. They can be made by email only at ravensgringallery at gmail.com. They can be for any day of the week between the hours of 2 p.m. and 11 p.m., but spaces will be very limited to start. 
At most, we are only be doing one a day and only a few per week, though we expect those amounts to increase steadily. Once you email, we will confirm availability with you. Please wait for this confirmation to make sure it's available. Do not show up without hearing back from us first. And masks will be required for everyone. I know we're all sick of them, but please consider your coming into our home along with Jim's age and health issues. We respect the range of viewpoints on masks and only ask that you respect us in return. We 100% do not see this being a permanent requirement, and if you're not wishing to have to wear one, then please check back in another month or so when we hopefully no longer have this in place. I know that's a lot of information, but if you have any questions, feel free to ask them, as others may have the same, or send us an email. Although this is not 100% the news everyone wanted to hear, it is a start, and it's what Jim is comfortable with doing at this time. As soon as we increase the amount of time slots available or have more of a set date for actual tours, we will be sure to let you know. Thank you for being patient with us, and we hope to see you soon, Jim and Jessica. Get more information, make reservations, and all things Ravens Grin at hauntedravensgrin.com. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the Earth. This is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, one of the things we addressed this week with the Roundtable of Terror is originality and, and how, you know, characters can become stagnant. There's great ideas out there. But boy, oh boy, Hollywood is not taking a page out of that book. Nope, no originality, especially for horror. Yeah, I was looking at the list of some of the upcoming movies that they're working on. And, uh, you know, Final Destination 6, Scream 6, Insidious 5. I, I think I've missed three or four of each of those uh, to round it out. The remakes are even more scary, like The Lost Boys. They're going to remake that, and you know that that's not going to work, uh, especially since some director with some teenage movie I've never heard of, something about the end of the world not being, you know, okay with that. So, yay, I, you know, Lost Boys is definitely going to get the uh, Dark Shadows treatment. Uh, Hellraiser, they're going to, you know, remake that, and Alien. Two things that really, you know, go, go find something new. Don't don't remake and ruin something else that I'll just never be able to pass on. Uh, they're even, uh, another favorite, Cloverfield 2, which is actually the fourth Cloverfield movie. Not sure how that math works. Definitely toy paper math for the movie there. Don't know how that works. And then, of course, they're also planning to make a Evil Dead Rise, which I might not be too bad about continuation of Evil Dead, if they haven't already did an Evil Dead remake and, you know, just went over, like, you know, a fart in church. No, no good there. So, 
you know, so many neat stuff. And we're, you know, we're talking about in the roundtable how cryptids and these stories from hundreds of years ago have great followings and can go with it. But yet Hollywood keeps cranking out the exact same thing over and over for sequels. All right. So um, hope you enjoyed Top Gun and are planning to see Avatar and Jurassic Park. Uh, world again this summer. Uh, see, see what I mean? Just crank him out. So uh, don't crank out a sequel to your haunt. You know, do something original this year. Until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunted attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Hello everybody, Drew Badger live at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we have had this guy on the show recently talking about his convention that's coming up in early July, Haunters Against Hate. It's called HAH The Event Number 2 in Lexington, Kentucky. Paul Lanner with Haunters Against Hate. How are you doing, sir? Okay, how are you, Drew? Oh, we're having a good old time. Uh, every time I walk past this booth, you've got somebody looking at the T-shirts, looking at the uh, Book of Haunters and stuff. I assume the show's been good to you so far. Yes, it's been very good so far. Um, people have been very supportive and have been buying a lot of the shirts and patches and pins. It's been great. I, I had to buy a couple of the new shield patches. I do love this, and this is going on my battle vest that i am wearing right now as soon as i get home probably so anyway you know glad the show's going for you going well for you here let's talk about any quick updates that are happening at haunters against hate to the event that is things that have happened since we had you on big scary news a few weeks back well it's just it's getting final preparations um pigs and goats gotta mention they, uh, the, the big thing yes and that has really caused a lot of people to get excited is i am having baby pigs and baby goats at my event um now we're not going to have like a mutton bacon breakfast here or anything these are like live pigs and goats right yes correct these are live animals that (laughs) that you can interact with a meat and greed as it were meat and greed i I got it (laughs) wow yes and on, on saturday morning you you can have the opportunity to buy a special ticket to have goat moses which is basically you can have mimosas and then go play with the goats you know that is probably the coolest idea i've ever heard you know drink a mimosa and play with a goat how can you go wrong with that you can't go (laughs) wrong with it it's it's ideal and and maybe i'll do bloody mary's without bacon (laughs) oh savage so tell me a little bit about some of the guests you've got coming i know mark Patton is here this weekend i know he's coming and I know you had a couple of last-second additions to uh, to the guest list. Who have been the most recent people that have signed on to be appearing there? The most recent um, atten- or person to sign on is Miko Hughes, who played Gage in the original Pet Cemetery. Okay. So he's very excited to be attending. 
And the other big thing, of course, is having Russell Striner and Judith O'Day, who played Barbara and Johnny in the original Night of the Living Dead. They, that was the We're Coming to Get You, Barbara guy, and Barbara. You are correct. 1968. Yes, an absolute iconic line in every horror movie. Everyone knows that film and, and everything like that. So, And I don't hear of them doing convention appearances, so this is a rare treat. Yes, they've never done a convention together in Kentucky really? ever. Wow. This is the first time. Excellent. So for people interested, and you know, Haunters Against Hate is a great charity. It, it helps the LGBTQ and other number, other letters out there. I don't know all of them. There's, there's a lot. But it, it does help youth organizations with, with people who, frankly, just need help. And these are trying times, and there's a lot of stress out there. And and you do, you do great work in supporting and helping a lot of these organizations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, the focus lately, especially with my Protect Trans Kids shirt, has been on donating to organizations in Texas and Florida, which have been very controversial when yes, it comes to the LGBTQIA. That's, uh, that, that's putting it mildly. So one of the best ways, of course, to support that is to maybe buy a T-shirt either online or at an event like this. The Book of Haunters. There's eight of them out there now. Book of Haunters 8 is out here now and looks fantastic. Stickers, patches, bumper stickers, all sorts of things. Or coming to HAH, the event number two in Lexington. Real quick, what are the dates? What are the websites? How can people get more information? The dates are July 8th through the 10th. And the best way is to go to HAHTheEvent.com. That's where you can order your tickets and hotel rooms. Um, or you can go to hauntersagainsthate.com and click on the tab on the main page. That will also take you to HAH, the event. Excellent. Paul, I'm wishing you nothing but success for uh, the booth here the rest of the weekend. Are you appearing in any other shows between now and then or through the rest of the summer? The next event will be in two weeks, and I will be at Midwest Haunters Convention in Chicago. Um, then my event. Then I will be going to Texas Haunters Convention near Dallas, Texas at a week after my event. So it's going to be busy. And there's another haunt convention. It's the first one. I forgot the exact name of it, but it's located in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, yes. I, I know the name, but it escapes yeah, me at the moment. Escapes. It's the last weekend in July in Savannah. Right, yeah. right exactly. Okay, fantastic. Well, Paul, wishing nothing but success again. I think the Big Scary Show will be making an appearance at HAH2, the event. And uh, for more information, again, hauntersagainsthate.com. Thank you very much for your time here. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. Always great to chat. Absolutely. And I am the aforementioned Drew Badger here at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina for the Big Scary Show. And we're out. And ladies and gentlemen, let's see if you're listening carefully to the show because it is time for the June Gruesome Giveaway sponsored by ScreamlineStudios.com. It may be June, but October's coming fast. So be sure to visit ScreamlineStudios.com and stock up on all your Halloween goodies. I'm about to ask you a question. The answer is in the show. If you think you know that answer, send us an email with the answer and your name and phone number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on Monday, June 13th, and you might be randomly selected to be the winner. It's just that simple. Without further ado, the question for the month of June is during the round table of terror one of our guests mark muncie mentioned that he brings a very unusual object to his book signings 
What is that very unusual object? If you think you know that answer, send us that answer with an email with your name and phone number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on Monday, June 13th. We may randomly select you to be a winner of a fantastic prize from our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. Previous winners and family members of The Big Scary Show are not eligible to win, but good luck anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, that music you hear does signify once again that the Round Table of Terror is on the air, very proudly sponsored by Haunt Pay. For all your ticketing needs, time ticketing needs, uh, virtual queue lines, whatever you may need for your haunt this season and many seasons beyond, please visit hauntpay.com. Let Alex and his fine staff set you right up. Now, for those of you who've been listening a while, there is no secret that our host Storm is a huge fan of cryptids. What is a cryptid? Well, we're going to find out because we are talking cryptozoology. Cryptids, you know, they could be anything. The Bigfoots, the lizard people, the, you know, Loch Ness monsters, all those things out there that do they exist? Well, we're not quite sure. There's plenty of evidence here and there. And there are haunted attractions that use cryptids in them. For various reasons, mostly to frighten and maybe enhance a local legend or two if there's one in that area. So we put the call out. We got a couple of people to respond, and we have a couple of guests on the show tonight to talk about cryptids. I want to go up to Hartford, Connecticut, not too far from Storm, and say to Joey Marsacci, who is with the Curioporium haunted attraction up in that area. Joey, how are you, sir? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll ask you about the Cryptoporium or Curioporium in just a minute here and, and all things within. I also want to welcome our guest, Mark Muncy, down in St. Petersburg, Florida, home of the Skunk Ape and other things. Mark, how are you doing, sir? Doing fantastic. Longtime fan. Back from my haunting days at Hellview Cemetery down here. Yes, sir. Thank you for being a fan and uh, good to talk to you, sir. Also want to introduce our hosts, including the aforementioned big fan of this topic, Storm. I'm so excited. It's it's the recess of the shows for me. Two great tastes that taste great together, cryptids and haunting. Not enough cryptids and haunts. Well, maybe we can change that after tonight. Down in the Cincinnati area, we have Meat Hook Jim. Well, you know, I'm, I'm into cryptids. I'm a little more into ghost hunting, but they kind of go hand in hand in certain cases. So I'm excited for this because uh, I did a whole thing on cryptids at one point in time during the show. So Down in Fayetteville, Arkansas, recently became a grandmother yet again. We have Jonna, the old crone. Good evening. Um, just so you know, our minor league baseball team, the Arkansas Naturals, Northwest Arkansas Naturals, I should say, our mascot is actually... Um, called Strike the Sasquatch. 
My name is Drew Badger. I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. Apparently, we are a rife with lizard men in the Carolinas, but um, <laughs> we'll find out. Um, let's throw the first question out to Joey. Joey, you mentioned you know, off the air that you were with the Curioporium and that you do actually use cryptids as a part of your haunted attraction. What is the Curioporium and, and how do you do that? So the Curioporium is, uh, it's two things. It's a, it's a haunted shopping experience um, by day. And we also have uh, special events and things there. But the big thing that we're built for is a 90 minute uh, completely immersive haunted experience. Um, it's six different rooms. It's a very different type of haunt where our guests become part of the, the story. And it is very story driven. It's also very much uh, into history, local and beyond. Um, and that's where our cryptids uh, fall into it. So within the six rooms, one of our rooms is called the Hall of Unnatural History. And that is where uh, we are filled with um, not only stories, uh, newspaper clippings all along the walls, but um, our uh, built versions of uh, created ver versions of cryptozoology creatures from around the world. Uh, this, uh, th they're basically entrapped inside what's called the Havisham Vault. So they are there to be uh, studied. Uh, some of them are still alive, but they are uh, either frozen or kept, uh, kept still in time while people are in there. So we have a lot of fun with it because we do work with, again, not only uh, local history and local lore, but uh, there are cryptids mentioned from around the world. So we have a lot of fun with that. Anything from, sim you know, the simpler, you know, vampires and werewolves, the chupacabra. Um, we have specimens there. We have a baby Cthulhu. We have a Wendigo. Uh, we have a mermaid. We have... Um, we have a, a rare white uh, uh, rabbit. Um, so many different creatures, uh, taxidermied creatures as well that we have that we have created, uh, and we're adding to it all the time. So as we go through, take our guests through that area, um, it's our chance to talk about you know the fey folk, leprechauns, anything that that might uh, pique their interest as they are traveling through this vault. It, it sounds fascinating, and. Um... You know, you mentioned several different types of cryptids out there. What are some of the more common ones that people are familiar with? Everyone's heard of Bigfoot and everyone's heard of the Loch Ness Monster. But what are what are some of the other ones that people may may or may not be familiar with as well? I would say, uh, you know, more of uh, we can't have an actual specimen there because we can't get a hold of it. But the Mothman is certainly one that uh, we we mention quite often when we're doing our tour uh, the chupacabra, we do have one stuffed and mounted above our mantle. Um, Wait, wh which kind? Which kind of chupacabra, though? You got the you got the lizard chupacabra, and then you have the crap jackal chupacabra. We have the crap jackal okay. chupacabra. Yeah. Um, so uh, th those typically, you know, people will reference that we have a Jersey Devil as well. So we we bring that up, and those are those are definitely you know mentioned. Um, Bigfoot is also mentioned in there, um, sea serpents. So we're, and then we're, we're also kind of creating cryptids as well as we go, we're, we're making our own, uh, cryptids, but more recently, uh, we have decided to give a big focus on our, on our own Connecticut cryptids and lore so that, um, you know, we're, there's, there's nothing like us here in Hartford. 
um, and and really in New England, the way that we we do what we do. So it's important for us to not only make sure that, you know, if, if we're making up creatures, certainly those are fantasy. But when we we have to do our due diligence, both Nathan and I, on making sure that these creatures are, uh, you know, that that do exist, that we have the lore correct when we're talking about them uh, so that we can inform our guests. And then especially with the ones that are not well known, like the Glowacus from Glastonbury, Connecticut, um, not many people know about the, the the creatures that are right here in our home state. So we're making sure that we're we're starting with the lore that's here in Connecticut and branching out through Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, and and moving out so that we can kind of become an epicenter of the strange and unusual that our local New England at least has to offer. Uh, Mark, what about down in Florida? You know, we mentioned the skunk ape there. What are some of the local cryptids in your area and, and how did you become an expert on it, so to speak? Uh, well, I started as a uh, haunt enthusiast, uh, did a little home haunt for a number of years, uh, but we decided it was called Hellview Cemetery and we based it all on local lore and legends of Tampa Bay. Uh, and instead of having a werewolf jump out at you, we had the skunk ape jump out at you. And we had a lot of circus history because of Gibsonton and Ringling and all that are right here in Tampa Bay. So we threw in a lot of that, you know, and so a lot of carnival stuff. And it was always the, 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 they'd captured these creatures and were showing them off like a Ringling or PT Barnum show. Um, and that was the basis for our little haunt. And it, of course, it grew and grew over the years. And I was constantly collecting stories and putting them out there. And, uh, you know, we were, we had 10,000 people a weekend going through my backyard in October by the time we were shut down by the city of St. Petersburg in the year 2018. Uh, and, uh, you know, after running it for a long, long time. Um, so what I did though, is when that was over, I had all these stories and we'd been publishing them on the website for years, uh, you know, just spooky versions of the real legends. And again, I thought everybody knew this stuff and what had happened was around 2015, I guess, uh, you know, the creepy pasta website and stuff like that had really taken off and people were embellishing urban legends. And what we found was a lot of our stories have been copied from our website and pasted directly into this stuff without giving us any credit. So we were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, um, so that's when we put up a, a haunted house book uh, called 31 Tales of Hellview Cemetery. And that was our, just our spooky versions. And then suddenly I got History Press reached out to me and it just happened to be right the year after we got shut down saying, hey, do you want to redo these legends, but do them with the history behind them? I'm like, oh, yeah, because I'm a, I'm a history major. No problem. That's why I've been into this stuff. So next thing I know, we, we're doing a book called Erie, Florida, and it hits the bestseller list. And it's their first book that hits the bestseller list that isn't written by a politician. Uh, so they flipped out and you know now we're three books in and uh, the fourth book's coming out June 20th. And we're finally out of Florida. We're doing Erie Appalachia, which is full of cryptids and full of monsters. And, uh, you know, including things like Jersey Devil, Mothman, Grafton Monster and all that. But we also got to hit the lesser knowns, which is what I like. I like the what we call the holler monsters, the stuff that probably never even made out of this one valley. Uh, and this, you know, maybe one or two families know this story. And those were the ones that I found the most fascinating because they were so cool. And you can delve into the history behind them and all that. So that's. You know, that's how that's where I've gotten all this expertise on it. So, uh, Jim, being from Florida, how familiar are you with the legend of the skunk ape and some of the others? Uh, uh, well, I've done a lot of research on the skunk ape and uh, 
I have actually seen a skunk ape when I was 14. Uh, and oh. Yes. And this is the story, and this story has never changed. I am 57 now, and I have never forgotten this story. My cousin and I were out um, northwest of Tampa, up around, um, what's the county? Sumter County. Um, and this, uh, when I was 14, he was 16. His parents had a plot of land they hadn't built on yet, but we had a, a, an aunt and uncle that lived down the road. So we, we just camped out on this plot of land and it's out in the middle of nowhere. If you've ever been into Sumter County, Mark, have you ever seen Krumacoochee hideaway? I was about to say, I think I know exactly what you're talking about near kind of Brooksville hogs Island area. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we were camped out uh, on their property and it was April. There was a full moon. It was dry. Uh, and you got a couple of teenagers out there camping out and probably about 11 o'clock at night or something. We heard a big rustling down the road. I mean, it, from, from where we heard it, it's probably about a hundred yards. Uh, so me and my cousin stuck our head out of the tent and what we see is something large and it was a two lane road and it cleared the road in two steps, but the wind was blowing towards us. And that's when the funk hit us. And I looked at my cousin, Andy, he looked at me and says, did you see that? And I said, yeah, did you see that? Because I want to be sure before I tell people. They said, yes, we saw that. And we watched it just keep lumbering off into the woods. The forest right there is like one of the major hotspots. I mean, people think of Florida as, you know, Disney right in the heart, right? And then I, the best way I describe it is like, look at Florida from space at night. You mm -hmm. see all those bright lights along the beach, right? And then you see the big bright spots of the cities, you know, Jacksonville, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Daytona, you know, Tampa, you know, all that stuff. And then you go a little further inland and that's all the suburbs, little lights and stuff. And then it's just, you get the big dark spots and that's the Everglades, you know, Cala National Forest, uh, the Withlacoochee State Forest, Mayaka State Forest, all these big state forests. My favorite's Tate's Hell. That's just such a great story in itself. Uh, but those are the areas it's like people don't realize is so dark pitch black because there is nothing out there for miles and it's just swamp and br brushland and scrubland. So, you know, that's where all these things happen. And uh, we've got, I, I can, I can, as every week I've got some Bigfoot team reaching out to me with some new footprint or something else they found, you know, now that I've got a few books out and been on a few podcasts and radio shows and, you know, once you're on coast to coast AM and ancient aliens, next thing you know, you're an expert and uh, everybody's <laughs> sending you their latest sightings. And I'm trying to route them to the nearest team that can help them and stuff. Uh, it's pretty cool. And, and, and some of that stuff, man, it'll, it'll make you, it makes you think. And right in that area, if you haven't reported it to the BFRO website, if you kind of know the date, if you kind of know anything, put it there. Cause you might find corroboration from some other person who saw something at that same time. I will do that because it's, you know, like I said, the story has never changed. Um, I've told other people and they're like, yeah, you're nuts. And I said, I know what I saw. I was old enough to know what I saw and you can't change my mind. And that's just it. If people would report it more, then suddenly it links more. And it's like, Oh wait, there was one scene right down the street, one scene right down the road, two days later, suddenly it's not just a once. Oh, I just saw this thing. I can't explain now. Suddenly it's like, Oh, we might have a migration route or something that they can study. Okay. Yes, skunk ape migration routes. That is that is awesome, and that's one of the neat things is how many stories and everything there is out there. And uh, you know, both our guests today, you've probably come across um, 
you know, how much of a rabbit hole it is when you start to research this thing. You, you'll hear a local legend or a myth, and then you'll find out that there are newspaper articles about it, eyewitnesses accounts, and then you're down a rabbit hole of it. Have uh, either of you found um, that type of thing to, to, you know, just surprise you and, and how much there's actually hidden in research and, and different libraries out there? And I don't know if we want to do a mark first on that one. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, there was one uh, recently for Appalachia. I was researching uh, Serpent Mound and Alligator Mound up in Ohio, you know, two effigy mounds. And uh, there's been recent discussion about Alligator Mound not actually being an alligator because it doesn't look like an alligator. It's got a curly tail. It's got a horned head and all this. And But the the, the settler said, no, the natives told, called it an alligator. And well, we think it was actually the underwater panther, which is a Native American myth. It's the thing that lives in the water. It's called Mishapishu. And he's got a world tail that sinks boats and he lives in Lake Erie uh, or lives in all the rivers and streams. Anyway, it tied in to a thing that in the town of Crosswicks, which is you know now a different town, Waynesboro, Ohio, they had a, a creature in the 1880s as a newspaper article that people just forgot about called the Crosswick Serpent Encounter. And this, this lizard creature with four legs, they called it a snake with legs and a horned head and a curly tail. And it attacked two boys and the whole town chased it into a cave. And it's this amazing story that people have forgotten. And it fits Mishapishu, which fits the, the native lore. So suddenly we've got this lizard monster that could have existed you know, for a couple thousand years. And it makes sense suddenly. Suddenly that mound makes a little more sense. It's only, is it a real monster? Was it this real thing? Um, and that, again, it was just a deep dive into some lore. And then suddenly a newspaper article that fell into our lap about a little known cryptid. And it's like, oh, wow, bing, bing, bing. Suddenly pieces of a puzzle falling together. It's amazing. Like someplace like Ohio, how many 14 monsters are running around there? And you want to think of it. But the same with Connecticut, too. I, I can't believe. I mean, you brought up one today, uh, Joey, that I hadn't heard of in Connecticut. And I've been, you know, up up in New England uh, for 20 uh, years after coming from New Jersey. So, you know, I, I was even surprised that there's some I hadn't heard about. What about you? What, what have you researched locally and then just fell down that uh, cryptid rabbit hole? I mean, I've been I've been doing research on these things for 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 years. Uh, I've been in the haunt industry for well over 25 years or so. And, and, you know, even in creating my own monsters and creatures, I'm constantly going back to um, cryptids because, you know, when it, when you're trying to create an original creature, there's no better way to research than to go down this rabbit hole of what people think they saw, you know, because those, any legends from any state, when those first, you know, like for the Glowakas, for instance, um, in doing the research, we went back to about 1935 or so within the Hartford Current. There were newspaper articles of these sightings of, uh, you know, small animals, dogs, cats being being killed, uh, a goat. Uh, but then the sightings all turning towards, you know, is it a bear? Is it a, is it a large cat? Is it a large dog? Is it a hyena? Um, you know, in this amalgamation then grew into, well, it's definitely, it has red glowing eyes. It can't tell where you are, but it can sense you by sound, but not sight. Um, and, and as you continue with like, what did people see? What did they witness? Um, and they describe a little bit more. I mean, there was an entire 
there were many articles within the Hartford Current where, you know, they were sponsored ads uh, very much. I, I have the feeling of like Quint and Jaws, where it was like, if you bring us the pelt of this creature, you know, they had different prices for the different types of uh, pelt that you could bring back. If you bring it back dead or alive, you know, there was an oil company that sponsored one of the hunts uh, that you would get a year's supply of oil if you if you brought this creature back. Uh, there was so much. There was such a hype between 1935 uh, to about 1950, and then there was a lull, and then it came back up, up in 1960. Uh, but in doing the research, and then Nathan uh, started to go down the rabbit hole too, and he found that there were actually uh, within the same area the sightings go back to Puritan times of which the creature was named something a little bit different and harder to pronounce. The Glowacus comes from the beginning of the word Glastonbury, the word wacky and us as a Latin ending. Whereas the other name for it was much more almost biblical sounding, but same, same type of uh, description, however, much, much bigger. So bigger than a grizzly bear, about seven feet tall, smelled of wine, which is how they were able to track it. And most of those were illustrations. So it's really, really fun to think, you know, okay, we've got at least some newspaper articles that we can pull off from a certain time period. And then the sightings stop. And for us, it's like, you know, we're in the entertainment business too, but also being historical, you know, we want to kind of pull that out of the out of the newspapers a little bit again certainly we've got our own uh the winston wildman which is uh our uh our own connecticut bigfoot supposedly there's been sea monsters uh and serpents sighted off of the long island sound what else the melon heads of shelton and i think milford as well uh fairy villages i mean there's so much that like once you start you know, going into newspaper article after newspaper article, it's amazing what you'll find that, you know, will will really, I don't know, just kind of build up these these unknown areas. It's like like Connecticut is not known for its cryptids, but Connecticut is I, I will go down and saying that Connecticut is the most spooky uh, paranormal place in the U.S., um, you know, from the beginning of the Salem, you know, the, the original witch trials happened here. Our own vamp, you know, the Jewett City vampires. There's so much that goes on here as far as legends, lore, and paranormal that, you know, it, it's amazing. I got to say, in doing the research on this, I'm finding every state has a million. And it's like, and oh, yeah. every state is its own hotspot. Um, you know, Florida, we've got tons and tons and tons. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, my, my favorite, uh, our wild man's the Ochizi Pond wild man. He got captured and was sent. They, this small village, you know, captured him in the 1800s and sent him to the governor on a stagecoach. And there's this great picture of these two men with these rifles and this big gorilla looking thing where the cage only goes up to his waist, chained to the back of a stagecoach. It's this little sketch. Uh, and then they send him to the governor. The governor's like, I don't know what to do with this. Send him to the lunatic asylum. It's obviously a lunatic. And then we have the records of him at the Florida lunatic asylum. And then that's all we got is he was sent to be shaved. And that's the last time anybody saw it or anything. We have the records of his death somewhere on the grounds, but where that burial plot was, he was put in the Jane Doe, John, you know, John Doe uh, burial plot. The problem is that plot is now where the main building is. So there's no way to get down there to check the remains of all that. But he was like eight feet tall, according to the records and covered in hair. So did they catch a Bigfoot? We don't know. And we'll never know because the, this, those newspaper articles are so crazy from those days. 
uh, you're talking about bounties. My favorite was the Snallygaster up in Maryland. Uh, oh my. The, yeah, yeah. The the, Schne- the Schnellygeist was mm-hmm. the fast ghost was the you know the German name for it, and that became Schnellygaster. Um, um, and then that, but the bounty on him was so high that Teddy Roosevelt put off a meeting of an important diplomatic meeting because he wanted to go hunt the beast himself because that was Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) That better be in the history channel uh, thing tonight for Teddy. It it should be. It better be. He even has his own Bigfoot encounter. Well, he talked to a guy Mm -hmm. who had a Bigfoot encounter and documented it. So what exactly classifies a cryptid? Are they, are they some kind of animal uh, misbreed or are they something paranormal? Are they something alien? Um, what is kind of like the common denominator as to what defines a cryptid and what the, the uh, consensus is as to where they are coming from? You want to take it, Joey? Uh, sure. I mean, there's so, there's so many different arguments to this that if it's, um, you know, I, I've been following so many different groups over the years that I feel like, you know, if it's something that is that is unexplained, you know, some people don't consider werewolves to be a cryptid or a vampire because we know too much about them. But really, I mean, where does that fall into fantasy literature to to actual sightings? You know, I, I think there are genuinely those people who are interested in doing the research and finding out as much as they can and, uh, you know, uh, kind of separating the truth out of fiction. But I don't think any of us can, you know, it's fear of the unknown, right? And so I think cryptids falling into that category. We've got some people who, you know, will say like, like in Connecticut, the melon heads, melon heads aren't an animal. They're, you know, an inbred uh, family that escaped from a mental asylum. So do they fall under cryptid? Probably not. I mean, it were, I, I, but then you've got Bigfoot who kind of straddles between, you know, man and animal. So I'm not sure where you exactly draw the line, except, you know, do we start at Bigfoot and then just go to everything else? Most of our, you know, I, I would say that anything that cannot be identified as an actual scientific creature by means of trying to do scientific research on them falls into the area of cryptid but that doesn't mean that these things don't necessarily exist and and like the generation one the cryptid of one generation becomes the science fact of later ones look at the silverback gorillas you know know, they were were completely no but no there's no such thing and then suddenly we found them uh the komodo dragon you know you know because there was remote places these were things that were just stories and legends and then we find them giant squids yeah exactly it's it's you know that's why it's it's such a fascinating subject because some of these things may have existed and may be extinct now and some things may never have existed and then some like when we do research on some of these things we find the real history is much scarier than the monster legend, uh, you know, when we debunk them, which is the sad case in some of these, because some of these you really want them to be real. I did one called uh, Mini Lights was a local legend here in St. Pete. We put it in our haunt all the time. It was If you say Mini Lights three times, uh, these green lights will chase you or little green men or, you know, little alligator people will come and steal your children. And I was fascinated by this because it's like little alligator boys, the gator boys will come and steal your children. If you just say mini lights, 
Well, then I found another version of it where it was mini lightning and she was the voodoo queen of St. Petersburg. And that's why Tampa Bay has so many thunderstorms and lightning. And, and she'd send her alligator men to steal your children at night and doing research on it over the years, we kept putting her in the haunted house. We had this little voodoo lady and we had her little alligator men. And then one day in the St. Pete history museum, I was looking through archives for another story and I found the, the dark history behind her all in one little piece. And it was a fan uh, that you would hold to, you know, cool yourself up a hand fan and, uh, and tourists would hold it off, you know, to cool themselves off at an alligator farm here in St. Petersburg in the 1930s. And it had on the fan a picture of little African-American children being chased by alligators. And what they would do is they would kidnap children and throw them into the alligator pen to let the alligators chase the kids to entertain tourists. This is a real thing that really happened. And so beware of many lights was beware of the men with lights, beware of the gator boys, they will steal your children. So it's an urban legend where the real history is so much darker than little alligator men chasing you. And, and, you know, we pulled that from the haunt as soon as we figured it all out. So. Well, isn't that a case of a lot of like fairy tales is nursery rhymes and fairy tales. If you trace them back to where they historically started, they're actually extremely gruesome. Um, you know, I always wondered, though, growing up, whenever I'd hear about Bigfoot, because that's what we normally called, you know, our creature in this area was Bigfoot. For a long time, I never heard Sasquatch. I didn't know what it was. Um, you know, I always wondered if there was some correlation between the fact that we also have a lot of moonshiners in the Ozarks. And I don't mean that to be, you know, saying that they're all drunks. Um, and that's why they spotted them, which, you know, is a possibility, too. But is more like, how often does some of these rumors of creatures and things come about because they want people to stay out of that area. That's a big part of it. Uh, we get a lot of that when you do the research on it is you find out, Oh, it's, you know, there was a murder here. There was, so don't go into that house there. You know, don't, there was, you know, kids fell off into a well here. Oh, that well is haunted. You know, well, no, it's just stay away from the well. We don't want you to fall in and drown, you know, you know, um, caves and all that it's always you know stay away from the scary place because there's bad things that live there the bears live in there okay a monster lives in there okay you know it's and and that that does wind up being the case a lot of the time but then some of these you have you know the crazy incidents that just don't make sense and that, that, that don't follow the path and that's when you start going okay what is this that's fun you know that uh brings up something I don't, i'm sure you're probably familiar with it but uh in ohio there was a cryptid called the Loveland Frogman. In our new book, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, 30 miles from Loveland. Oh, love the castle. Oh, Loveland yeah. Castle is awesome. It is. Love, that, that's some of my favorite parts, Look, researching these cryptids and then finding the weird places near them that, you know, have completely, completely different history. Yeah. Um, but Loveland, yeah, the, the, this guy, uh, guy in the 1950s driving along, salesman, and he sees this frog standing in the road, not Kermit, but basically the same type thing, standing on two legs. And he follows it, it jumps over a guardrail. He kind of follows it over and it sees three more of them. Then they see him and one of them pulls a wand, like a magic wand out and it shoots lightning at him. And then he runs and, and it's never talked about again. It was just one of the really, he reported it to the police. So this is the craziest thing. And nobody talks about it for years. And then like 10 years later, a cop, sees the same thing and freaks out calls you know reports it two weeks later his buddy says he shot it and killed it so you don't have to worry about it anymore 
Uh, but then the press is like all over them. Where's the body? Where's this? And he's like, oh, it was an iguana. I killed an iguana and I threew the body a away. It wasn't tailless a iguana. Yeah, it was a tailless iguana. Right, exactly. And so there was no frog. There was no frog. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, of course, the legend has just gone on and on. What did they see? What, you know, what was it? Again, crazy legend. And we had a, a I had a ghost hunting guy who's a friend of mine up in Ohio was going to Loveland Castle to go ghost hunting because it has ghosts because they brought in all those medieval artifacts and all kinds of crazy stuff goes on there. And um, he was there going for that. He's like, Mark, I got to tell you, I think I saw the frogman. I was on my way to the castle and I saw something reptilian looking at me from the road. I pulled over and I saw it jump into the water and it was huge. And I waited, nothing came up. So, you know, he's like, I, I can't tell you it was a frogman, but I can tell you it freaked me out. So, you know, that was cool. So, well, oddly enough, um, after I, I found out about the legend and did my research, I actually wrote a short horror story based on the Loveland Frogman. I never published it, but I do have copies. Anybody wants a copy, I'll be happy to send it to them. Hit me up. Okay. Um, it's it's not very long, but uh, it's a little more, you know, on the horror side than anything. But it was fun. I liked writing it. Next thing you know, you'll be doing a book like me. So whenever, whenever you look at uh, these old black and white grainy photos of when, you know, someone actually caught on camera Bigfoot or um, the Loch Ness Monster, which has been a legend in Scotland for centuries, how do you explain them possibly still being around? Is that particular Bigfoot still living or is, is excuse me, was there a Mrs. Bigfoot that... Um, you know, now that now we're actually chasing their kids. I mean, how long do these creatures live? Do you think? Now we're jumping down a rabbit hole. Now we're in the rabbit hole. I would say you, there are so many different Bigfoot groups that will tell you a million different variants on this. Again, it's it's cryptozoology. This is not real zoology. We don't have enough information to study this to really know. There are groups that have seen juveniles, you know, and. Uh, you know, and, and one's, you know, there's a famous picture of one where one's got a, like a baby one on its back. Uh, notoriously, the, uh, um, in another Ohio monster, the Ohio grass man, uh, he has a, uh, his, uh, every description of him says he has rock star hair. And I'm always like, what's rock star hair? And every person I interviewed, rock star hair. And it would be, they would kind of describe it. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of Rastafarian. Uh, but uh, it makes a little more sense. But there were some that were carrying infants you know like a mother one that you know had pendulous breasts and was carrying a you know an infant one so um and then recently in Mayaka, south of us here in tampa bay another big florida forest they've had a lot of recent activity and a team out there recently found um giant bigfoot footprints like you expect but then a bunch of little ones near it too in the middle of nowhere in the forest and what was fun about that was the minute they, they they cast them you know they did the plaster casting thing and they went to come back later and the next day that was when uh the the state did a controlled burn in that area so they couldn't pick up their casts so little little convenient there so the tinfoil hat crowd loves that stuff so yeah absolutely i, I government like always burning down bigfoots <laughs> now, there's a, a new book that I that I was just recently made aware of called uh, De-Evolution by Max Brooks, who did the zombie apocalypse uh, guide. 
um, Mel Brooks' son. Uh, but it, it goes into a very, if you know anything about his books, he does. He, he tries to do a lot of research as much as he can within these different subjects. And the book is about uh, the, uh, the a society, like where Bigfoot would have come from and the society that it could have grown into um, amongst themselves. And it's, it's a very interesting, re I'm, I'm still like getting through it, but uh, it's very interesting in that respect, because if you go down the road of, uh, of cryptids and you want to look at uh, Megalodon, right? I mean, does a Megalodon still exist somewhere? I apologize for the car. Um, but, you know, and, and if so, how is it still alive? Well, I mean, a giant squid has, has managed to stay out of the, uh, you know, out of public sight for years, thinking that it was a sea monster and, and with what, within the past 10, maybe 15 years, finally getting video footage of it. it, it it's interesting that, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's gone from these grainy photos to like, what was it, maybe 10 years ago that we realized a great white shark can jump out of the water, right? And they never captured that before. And I, and I find that I bring those things up because they are factual, but they're things that if you ever said one of these things, you, you've seen one of these things where there would be the photos of the, of a Megalodon, you know, measuring its tail from the dorsal uh, to the tail next to a, next to a ship, a submarine. Those photos are like, you know, where are these things coming from and how long are they, are, are, have they been around that we just haven't noticed? So I think it's absolutely, uh, you know, possible that these things are out there just, and, and the, the more that we, that we encroach on, on their society, on their world, on their forests and oceans that we're finding these things more and more. So, you know, if these things have been around, you, your stories can go back hundreds of years if you're really looking at it. But, you know, I mean, look at the news just last week with UFOs, like just dropped out of nowhere. Okay, we'll accept that. So <laughs> where, where are we now with all of that? Is Are these things now going to catch up to being, yeah, these things are true. We've just been hiding them. Yeah, and to really open up your question uh, there, John, the uh, Bigfoot's like the perfect example of it because you ask different people, they got different ideas. Yes, could there be a, a group of hominids out in the woods or someplace that are repopulating and that's how they're, they're seen over years? Maybe other people say they're interdimensional, that they actually come from a different place and fade in and out. And that's why you can't get a good picture of them and why they'll be there one second and pop out another. And then you go completely tin hat people start correlating uh, UFO sightings and uh, abductions and stuff like that with Bigfoot sightings. And then you can go hollow earth and all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, huge rabbit hole. And that's, that's a thing until people find out, you know, is there real biology behind a cryptid? It, it's just a 14 story and, you know, it, it can go in all different uh, directions. And like my best example that like Joey was saying is the coelacanth. Um, you know, up in Portland, Maine here, we have the Cryptozoology Museum and the coelacanth is their logo. It's their thing. This is a fish that, you know, we had fossils of three million years ago. His three million year old fossil thought it was extinct just like that. In the mid 70s, one comes up on an anchor uh, uh, from deep sea on a big uh, ship. 
and they found a couple since then. So this thing that was in a fossil record, three million years old, the exact same fish can still be found in super depths off of the coast of India. It's actually 300 million years old. Yep. They, was they it? pulled oh, one up Jesus. from they, and they pulled one up from a fishing net in 1938 in South Africa. Was it 38 too? Oh, yeah. So that's that's where it came up. But I do want to remind everybody: you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking cryptids with our guests Joey Marsacci, Mark Muncy, our regular host. We're going down some rabbit holes, folks. But first, we got to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we're back to the round table of terror. We are talking cryptids with our very special guest, Mark Muncy in St. Petersburg, Florida, Joey Marsachi in Hartford, Connecticut. And, you know, both of you guys have had haunted attractions and things over the years. And I'm, I'm glad to see that you guys are utilizing you know, cryptids in your haunt. And I know that, um, you know, you brought up the uh, melon heads earlier, Joey. And I know there's a haunt in Shelton, Connecticut that I believe has used melon heads in the past. So, you know, is it something that people are familiar with, you know, or is using a Loch Ness monster or using a Mothman something that is becoming more common in haunted attractions or, or are there just too few haunts that really value using a cryptid in their haunts because they'd rather have Freddy or Jason or clowns or something like that. Yeah, it's an interesting topic because I, I believe that, you know, most, I mean, there's some really wonderful haunts that are around the U S and, and around the world, really that, you know, you'll find in Europe, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a a local author that that traveled to uh, uh, to Europe and went to a bunch of haunts, and you'll find that in haunts in Europe, um, they're they're much more using their local lore within their haunts, which is interesting, um, than we do here in the U.S. I think that you know, working I worked with uh, Sleepy Hollow uh, or the the Horseman's Hollow in Tarrytown, New York, which is the Sleepy Hollow, New York, and they very much used all of the. It was very much a period haunt, so meaning that the costumes were all period. It all had to revolve around the stories of Washington Irving, and I thought that was wonderful because it, not only is it dealing with local lore, but Washington Irving was writing about local lore in his books. It wasn't just the Headless Horseman; it was witchcraft and demonology and things like in the occult of the time of that period that they were in, in, the, in New York. So I don't think it's utilized enough, honestly, because if most of those haunts that are out there that, yeah, they're putting in Freddie and Jason and doing, you know, the cheap scares and things like that. It's not like it doesn't have its place. It does. However, I think it, you know, it's like, for me, it's all about story and whether that story is fictional, non-fictional or uh, about 
uh, the things that we just don't understand. That's the fun for me is being able to go through and put so much detail into these stories that it keeps people coming back. Now, again, we're a different type of haunt. But even so, when I worked with uh, the Horseman's Hollow, people would come back every year. And every year we were delving into something else that Washington Irving was writing about, about the local creatures and lore and hauntings and things like that. So, you know, for me who consults on haunts, I would definitely say that, you know, people look locally to their legends, to their to their cryptids and include those things. It's going to make something that's unique for those areas that you're not going to be able to see elsewhere. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we're going down the route of finding all, uh, out as much information about the Glowakas. We have stuff for sale within our store that are about cryptids all over the world. There is no Glowaka. So that's up to me to now kind of create kind of merchandising. I'm, I'm going to build the entire creature so we have it at our haunt um, so that we can we can see our version of it. But yeah, I think it, it would definitely benefit people to go down that road to learn locally what was there. And even if it's not local, use it for the fact that other people haven't and twist the story a little bit, because that's what this lore is all about. Right. Everybody's version of it gets a little bit deeper, a little bit weirder as you go. And I and I love that about storytelling because it's it's what we've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years is storytelling um just to entertain ourselves so why not do it within the realm of these creatures that some of us believe exist but you know there's not enough proof yet but we want to find out more and you know talking about haunt education that was the hellview website now this back in the day it was an a GeoCity site and we had an AOL address. So that'll tell you how old this was internet archive people here. Uh, but uh, that was our, it was, all the story was on the website and, and it was just, we threw it up there. We know not everybody was going to look at it when somebody's running through, they're getting jumped out by a skunk ape. They don't know if it's a skunk ape, a dog, man, a werewolf, you know, whatever. They're just, they're having fun. They got scared. They moved on to the next thing, the next thing. But those that did were the ones that came back again and again, and were loving the story and loving the characters and we had based it all on local folklore characters we had a infamous uh bordello down here in tampa bay uh and it was put out by a lady named madam Orr, and she owned the Orr house which i always thought was a great name for a bordello right uh on the port and um and she infamously had a run-in with our favorite monster hunter teddy roosevelt uh again uh when he and the rough riders were down here in tampa before they sailed for cuba couple of his men didn't come back from her bordello. And so he got so mad, he had the mayor of Tampa order her place burned to the ground. Now, immediately for us, for Hellview, that became, oh, that's from dusk till dawn. She's a vampire. And we, you know, and then Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders went in. So we made this whole year with this vampire lady that was being, you know, and vampire ladies of the night. And we had the, the Rough Riders being massacred. <laughs> It was this weird story, but people didn't care. They were just enjoying it. Now, the people who did love it, you know, followed that story. And we would bring Madame Moore back every couple of years and, and throw this. And people would, uh, and I was the caretaker of Hellview, so I was always out front. And so I got to hear people go, oh, is, is Madame Moore back this year? Or is this person back this year? And, and that was what was really loving to me was seeing all these people had followed the stories and were, you know, loving the generations of it, basically. Um, 
so yeah, I think, you know, and then educating them on these cryptids, which was, you know, and, and, and urban legends that had, you know, fallen through the cracks of history. I was like, how did not everybody know about Madame Moore? How did not everybody know about mini lights and the Gator boys and, you know, and these things, it was just, it was too much fun. Well, you know, there's a cryptid that has always fascinated me and that's the Wendigo. And about nine years ago for a brief period of time, I owned a haunt. Uh, the partnership was doomed to fail. So I just stepped away, but I had created designed, and wrote the story for an entire haunted attraction based around the Wendigo. It has not seen the light of day, but it is in my head and is in my notebook. It will see the light of day sometime. I promise. You know, what's the neatest part about this too? There are haunts and, um, you know, operators who won't touch that subject. Absolutely will not because of so much of the history behind it and everything. And so much of, you know, what you might even classify as superstition, but it could be more Native American oral history. They won't even touch it. That's how powerful some of these, you know, stories and creatures are. And it, it drives me nuts when I see a haunt do a uh, half knockoff, you know, Jason Voorhees, because you're never going to get that cinematic look in your haunt and get that one second the reason why it's popular is because people relate to it and then they go oh oh slash her you know sometimes you lose your audience and they come out of it and you know cryptids are so much fun because you can do anything with them if you think that you know a story with a cryptid will get static go look into detail of the stuff that happened around the mothman and 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 the stuff like that you know google injured cold and your mind's going to be blown the weird stuff that happened and and how it relates and then you know this even rolls and snowballs from other countries and, and other places you know you you think that there are a lot of these stories just here in our background more this stuff goes back thousands of years you know scotland locked this monster most famous cryptid you got out there you know bigfoot's coming up to be a close second but you know it's it, stuff's been talked about for thousands of years and you know your haunt could cash in on well and, you know also i'm thinking that you know a lot of haunts don't touch freddie and jason and things because they're trademark characters and you don't want to get in trouble with studios and lawyers and things like that but is bigfoot trademarked is the wendigo or wendigo is it trademarked are you know is the chupacabra trademarked to where you could or could not use that as it's, long as you're not using one that's been used in a movie or a book, you know, you right. know, as long as you're doing your version or the ones based on the folklore, totally. It's, you know, that's totally up to you. And that's why, you know, um, was it um, Netherworld? You know, Ben Armstrong famously made his own cryptid, uh, the Harvest Man, one year. And it was, and he posted a website, a fake website. It was like, have you seen the Harvest Man? It was like posting the folklore and it looked like it's ancient website. And people, when he hit the news that this year was going to be based on the famous legend, the Harvest Man, and people were like, oh my gosh, that's, I remember that story. I grew up with that story. He made it up that year. So, you know, that's the power of folklore and drawing in these creatures. And that's, you know, that was one of the reasons why we did what we did with it was because it was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, the power of this, this is this history behind these monsters and stuff. You, you can't help but love it. I mean, you were talking Mothman and Indrid. That's part of the new book was we did a, it was a florida tie to indrid that i didn't know about Ooh. and stumbled on um and uh you know self-promotion here but it's a ufo incident that tied to indrid who was basically a men in black type figure and i think we've tied him to a government organization which is crazy but um one of the monsters i still think would make a great haunt is the whole flatwoods monster incident 
uh, which is another West Virginia legend, uh, but it was more like an alien encounter with the uh, family encountering a monster on a hill. And it was like 10 feet tall with glowing red eyes and, uh, and a, you know, and a green cloak and it kind of floated and it sprayed this misty gas that burned their eyes and famously investigated by project blue book and a bunch of other things. Um, and again, it was just one of these wild stories that just kind of disappeared for a little while. And now is back with a vengeance, thanks to modern folklore and, and this love you know, of cryptids now. So, Do you remember, Even- I mean, there was, a, there was a haunted attraction in, I believe, Maryland. And I think they closed down sometime around maybe 2010 called Goatman Hollow. And they had an entire story about the goat man. And I know that the previous webs, the, the previous podcast that we were all associated with would run vignettes about the legend of the goat man. Some, some of them lasted 10 or 15 minutes. And I don't know if that's based on an actual cryptid in Maryland, or if that was like Ben Armstrong, something that goat man hollow completely made up. Well, there's, you, are the you goat, familiar with it? There's because a, I've man- heard, I've heard Goatman mentioned in other places. Yeah, the Popelik monster is a, is probably the most infamous of the Goatman creatures, and that's in Louisville, Kentucky. That's Kentucky. And yeah. uh, but what happens with these legends too is when you're telling a campfire story and you heard this legend somewhere else, when you're telling it to your friends at the campground, you don't say, "Oh, and this took place in Louisville." You say, "This took place right here," and that's what we see. A lot of these legends migrate and you know, just like as people migrate and the legends move. And that's why some of these are hard to nail down because, oh, this was seen here. This was seen here. This was seen there. And then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, that's only like 50 miles apart. That's maybe 20 miles apart or a couple hundred, but it's right along the rail line or right along the train line and, you know, and stuff like that. And that's, that's what you see with a lot of these, but that's, I think Goatman most famously is the one in public. And that's sadly the only cryptid with a real body count because he's on a tr- trestle bridge and kids like to investigate the monsters. They go legend tripping where they, you know, go poke the bear, see if they can make it happen. And sadly he's on a trestle bridge, an active trestle bridge and people climb up on this trestle bridge and then the trains come and then there's nowhere to go. And uh, most recently a 16 year old girl died falling from that trestle bridge because she was trying to film it for Instagram. You know, and uh, you know, that's sad, but you know, the monster claimed another life which would and just I, add to the mythos <laughs> yeah and i i i believe that that uh goatman howl i remember them and, and would follow their vignettes and everything uh the neat thing with them was it, it had enough based on lore and legend they threw in some local names some doctors and possible backstories so the neat thing about that haunt is that while it was goatman howl do it that wasn't the big focus of the the, the monster like never showed up it's like at the very 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 possible end of each year all the other times they're dealing with scientific experiments gone wrong trying to make goat men time machines that type of thing so it's really neat that you could get this focus and build up to it and you know the the way that your haunt should your haunt should have an entrance and it should have some sort of grand finale and you know instead of having it throughout the entire thing it built up to it and just when you don't think you'll ever see the goat man he shows up well, then you're going into the classic storytelling of uh, some of our favorite horror films like Jaws or Alien, where you don't, they're only in the film for like 14 minutes and then you get that payoff. Um, I wanted to go back to the Wendigo for a second and just in, in general with, with our haunt, um, very much so the lore 
and the story, especially when it comes to um, culture, is very important. And you were talking about, you know, some people won't touch the story of the Wendigo. In doing our research for it and, and the Curioporium in general, you know, not only are we dealing with cryptids, but we're dealing with the occult. So we're dealing with mysticism throughout many different cultures throughout um, throughout time and throughout the world. So it's very important to us to make sure that we are telling the stories correctly, because even like taking the Wendigo, there are not, it's not like all Native American tribes of the U.S. believed in the Wendigo. There are very specific tribes that, that believed in the Wendigo. And then that kind of spread over into the Skinwalkers. And, and such of a different uh, period or a different time um, and location within the U.S. So it's very important to us that, again, we, we, have a, uh, we have a benefit there that not only are people going through as a haunt, but when we're open in general during, during the day, um, you're still kind of getting a, a guided tour by our, by our uh, characters and such who are talking about the creatures. But we also have uh, QR codes that are littered throughout, you know, they're blended in nicely, but if you wanna stop and look at, you know, the Jackalope or the Windago or some of the, the ancient, you know, like fairy tribes of Scotland and, and Ireland, you can get the QR code. And then we've put the entire story with like music and such, so people can find out more. Um, it's very important to us that, you know, although, you know, being a monster maker by trade, um, I still want to do my my due diligence in researching and making these things as realistic as possible because licensing wise, you're absolutely right. Like there is no license to Bigfoot. If you are if you have Harry and the Hendersons in your haunt, yes, that is a trademarked Bigfoot. Um, but there's so many different interpretations of these creatures. Um, you know, for those that are creative enough, just make up your own, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're constantly getting wonderful, like renditions of creatures like antlers, which was just released last year, uh, telling the story of the Wendigo. Beautiful design, you know, but it lends itself to like inspiring others to create their own version of these creatures. And that's what I think needs to happen uh, more in haunts. Um, the book I was talking about earlier, uh, Drawn to the Dark, which is by uh, Chris Co uh, Chris Kulstrom. Yes. Uh, who, who, yes. You know, you know, yeah, been, on, so, been on our so show many times. Hellview Cemetery is the last chapter of that book. Hellview Cemetery is the last chapter of that book. There you go. Yeah. So uh, she's, she's at the Curioporium often. She's a big supporter of ours. So that's why I want to plug her book out there, but it's interesting, you know, looking at the different cultures again, cryptids and, and, and ghost stories and lore from, uh, from uh, Europe versus the US, you know, quite different. And, and you know, I, I, I tell anybody out there that's looking to add these things into their haunt, you know, venture even out of the US and look at these cryptids from other countries and these tales, because absolutely the Brothers Grimm and the, you know, Grimm fairy tales, like as dark as those stories are, you can get so much out of them to add to your, to your haunts that just exclude outside of freddie and jason and anything that's like been kind of beat with a dead horse <laughs> um so there's so much out there that you you can just be creative about i would be remiss if we did not mention probably storm's favorite cryptid the chupacabra i have yet to see a chupacabra in a haunted attraction at least one that was called chupacabra oh. telling you and it's underused 
Um, it is absolutely underutilized. And the backstory had on one those... one year. Hellview had one one year because we did oh, nice. we did a year we did a cabin in the woods style ending one year where we basically had uh, it was a zombie theme that year because that was the the rage at the time and and we had mini lightning raising her zombie army uh, but we did a bit where at the end there were so many zombies they'd overrun the system and so the haunt we basically had them break through a wall and go behind the scenes of the haunt and what it was was it was. It was like a military organization that was sending the monsters to scare everybody on Halloween, but not all the monsters were loose. So we threw in every random thing we could do. We had Slenderman, we had Mothman, we had, uh, of course, we had our Tampa version of Slenderman called the Trestle Monster, uh, um, a local cryptid. But then we had the Chupacabra, which was a great puppet that we did the lizard version that came out and and snapped at people. And we, we threw it all in there and it was, we did the whiteboard bit with all the monsters and we had all of their little red lights that their cages were opened. And there were a couple that were still green that were safe, but it was, and that was, that was our joke. And it was just, it was one of those fun gauntlet endings. And I was so happy. I got to throw in a Chupacabra in that one. Cause we had, we'd never found a place for him before. And I was like, yeah, Chupacabra, we got him in. That's awesome. But I'm a big fan of Cabin in the Woods and that just sounds epic. Mm. It was, it was a lot of, we had red lights going on and military guys is getting massacred by the monsters. Then the monsters would try to get the guests and, and, and then we had all these weird announcements going on that we just had a fun recording going, uh, oh, you know, oh God, the, the, the Jersey Devils at the loading dock, quick, close the doors. You know, I didn't you'd hear, and it would just cut and it was just all these random things going off. It was a lot of fun. Please tell so us. How do you, that exists. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. So how do we, how do we communicate those things to um, the average high school kid who probably isn't as familiar with them? For instance, you know, mine's Banshee Manor. And, you know, sometimes we would ask him, you know, well, what is a banshee? And they go, oh, that's a motorcycle or, oh, that's uh, that's a uh, some kind of monkey or things like that. So it's very important for us to communicate to our our guests as to what a banshee is, because it's very frustrating to have them go through this entire Scottish themed hunt. And then whenever, you know, the banshee screams at them, they're like, why was that lady screaming at us? You know, <laughs> that's a <not> point. <laughs> If I, as, as, so for me, so uh, so I come from doing theme park design with both Disney and Universal, and I cannot tell you the power of making a good queue area that is informative. So that's really uh, the solution that's always been there for me is that, you know, whether it be, you know, people don't really take the time to read, but if you can make some really creative signage that is imagery that is just you know kind of simple but it's getting the point across or even if you if you have it in your budget to do simple videos that are uh you know kind of intermixed not like a powerpoint video but just trying to tell your story in a very creative way that's typically the way to go if you've got lines of people that are just waiting to go in that's also entertaining them and educating them at the same time as to what they're going to see you mentioned PowerPoint and I just mentally got this picture of, you know, a slideshow, you know, with the little PowerPoint with all the bullet points. Yes. <laughs> you have a TED talk about the Chupacabra, right? Here. Uh, there you go. I, I have a PowerPoint on Chupacabras. I'll have to send it to you. Now, what's what's fun about that is, though, you can have fun with that. That was one of the things uh, Halloscream did here was they had an organization that was like, this was an ARG and augmented reality thing that they did for people who wanted to follow the stories of the haunts and stuff. And they had like a thing for the kids 
to go on their phones and get the app and it would show them different little bits of the story. And if they went to a specific spot, did the QR code thing, it would give them a little bit more of the scientist, you know, blurry video and stuff like that. And I always thought that was fascinating, but then one of them did a PowerPoint presentation on, you know, the, the study of this thing. So you brought a PowerPoint. I thought that was great, but uh, yeah, no, that was one of the things we did. We found though, I think kids aren't the problem. I think the modern kids love monsters and love the cryptids. I, we, when we do our book signings, we have a little mini Robert the doll that we got from the, the original place down in Key West. For those who don't know Robert the doll, believe me, your kids know Robert the doll. Uh, yeah. He is the inspiration for Chucky. He is, uh, he is a cryptid in his own right. Uh, but uh, we have this mini Robert. And when we're at an event, kids beeline to Robert and go, oh, he's here. He's here. You know, as, you know, and, and, you know hi, Robert. We, we love you. Can we take your picture? You know, they know the rules because there's rules with Robert and stuff like that down in Key West. And that we're finding more and more like with our pictures of, you know, the new book. Uh, we just did our first signing event at Megacon, which is 180,000 people, nerds descending on Orlando for a big comic con. Uh, and, uh, and we stand out because we're paranormal. We're cryptids. We're monsters. And my wife's art, you know, illustrates all these monsters and people were flocking to us because we had Mothman and, you know, and, and Flatwoods monster and Jersey devil and people know them by sight, even though we've done, we go back to the original things to try to get a little different interpretation than what you're used to seeing in the modern versions and try to get back to the original drawings. And that's what, but kids know it. The kids love it. And that's, they, they eat that up because that's what they're home watching TikToks and stuff like that. The ones that want to get scared, they absorb this and they're more encyclopedia on it than anybody. So uh, I think it's the, the 20 to 30 somethings that just kind of skipped it. Because like the 40s and 50s, we all grew up with monster movies and sci-fi and all that. It's that one mid-range. They had Harry Potter and they had uh, the Lord of the Rings. And that was pretty much, it seems to be, and, and uh, Twilight. That seems to be the generation that missed all the cool, creepy stuff. So, And, and I think what both our guests hit on in the answer to that question is story. And, you know, just having a story to it and, and developing it and showing your commitment to the story. Unfortunately, no matter what subject your haunt is, you're going to have people who don't get it. You could, you could sit there. You could give a course on it. You explain it. You can have an incredibly elaborate, immersive thing. They're not going to get it. But they still came out and had fun. The ones who do get it, the ones who really appreciate the work that you put into this, the research, your creative um, uh, elements, they're the ones who are going to talk about it in the car. They're going to talk about it to their friends. They're going to talk about school or work. And, and, and they're the ones who really jump into it. So sometimes you just got to let go and know that, yeah, somebody's going to confuse your uh, uh, um, Krampus with the Grinch. They're going, you know, not know what a Banshee is. You know, they're, they're not going to know these things, but there's somebody in that group who does. And by the way, we, one, we, we like have both a Krampus and a Grinch. So, <laughs> and those are the kids who are going to be like, they're inside my head. How did they know? How did they know? And those kids will go get all their friends to come because look, they had the chupacabra. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'm looking at the clock here, and and I wish we could go another couple of hours with this, but unfortunately, one of us has a schedule conflict and has to leave shortly. So if there are any final questions we have for our guests, now would be the perfect time to bring them up. I, I don't have a question. That wouldn't be another hour. It's, it's just so much fun <laughs> hearing from our guests and hearing about, you know, the guests of their haunts and how 
meat this has expanded into and how you know it goes goes from doing research to a haunt to a series of books it goes from just your regular haunt needing something during the pandemic to all right we got a whole room and we're going to expand on this and i'm sure joey it's growing constantly with you i'm sure when you tell us a little bit more where we can find out information about uh the haunt and the entire attraction itself it's going to blow people's minds i've been meaning to get out there but uh, i i've seen the the social media posts and things you guys do i'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that event. Absolutely. Yeah. Contact me directly. I will give you a personal tour. Um, yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's really, it, we, we definitely like we're uh, I'm, I'm super thankful to be able to, to create this with uh, Nathan Nunez because it was like he, between his weird uh, sense of uh, humor and knowledge on, on uh, history and cryptids and monsters and, and ghosts I mean, we're both pretty much the same. So to be able to like really go gung ho, I mean, again, this isn't just a themed uh, store that we have, like everything is created by us. That's not the merchandise. So every monster, uh, the sounds, the the, everything is done uh, internally. So we can really like take control of, you know, how it evolves. I mean, every week there's new monsters going in, there's new exhibits, there's new you know, we're dealing with demonology and, and uh, the paranormal. We have paranormal investigations that happen every month because our, our artifacts that are there are actually uh, charged. And uh, so we have people come and investigate there. It, we're really, we have this wonderful opportunity to, to do something that is not your normal haunt. And it's not, you know, I mentioned an escape room. It's not really an escape room either uh, for the fact that you may not escape, which is nice. Um, but it, it's just so much fun to have these people that come in again and again, or just come in when we're open as a store and spend hours looking at the newspaper articles, looking in the book stacks, you know, there's, there's so much that you can learn from the stories and we just keep going with it because that's what, you know, when you're talking about haunts and you really got to look at, um, you know, what the theme park industry is doing and what immersive is becoming to people, you know, I mean, you, you've got places that are opening up all around the world, like Meow Wolf, which some people know, and some people are like, yeah, all about it with high tech, uh, artistry and, and ours is a bit of high tech and low tech. Um, at the same time, it's old, you know, it's old style magic illusions. It's, it's performing, it's a little bit of everything, but for people to really like take it to the next level, especially with old lore and old stories and seeing what you can do with technology um, and really with just being creative, that's really where I would love to see the haunts go. Like I, I'm, I, I know that I've had people come in from other haunts, which is great, which is another nice thing about being open year round is that people can come in anytime. And I have people from haunts come in at any time because you know, when you work in a haunt, you don't get to see the other haunts unless you really unless you really take a break, but who does at that time of year? Um, and they're amazed by what, by what we've done. And I'm humbled to have them come in and take a look and like really, you know, look around and, and give us feedback on it. I just love that because anything we can do to make it better. But yeah, that's just, I mean, the, the Curiforium, like I said, we're, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep adding to it. We're going to keep adding stories to it. Um, right now, that 90-minute experience is starting again at the end of July. Um, it's just with six people at a time. So we do a few shows a weekend. Um, and then we do other shows like, well, Krampus has his own show at Christmas, like a full 90 minute 
show with Krampus and he's, uh, you know, we, we like to involve a little bit of humor and horror at the same time. Like I mentioned, Cabin in the Woods is one of my favorites. Um, so, you know, our Krampus is very much uh, scholarly. He's a foodie. He's traveled the world. He wrote a cookbook on cooking with children. Um, and he'll tell you all about the pyramid scheme that Santa has created and lured him into <laughs> as the bad guy. So, you know, having things like that, even the Grim Reaper, we do tours on Thursday, a uh, lantern tour, all the lights out, but just sound effects and stuff with the Grim Reaper. And our Grim Reaper uh, is very different from the Grim Reaper of lore in that he's from Jersey and he's part of a union. And uh, he's he's just, uh, he's a little bit of Harvey Firestein. So it's, you know, I, I, I think, having that good mixture of history and fun and horror and science fiction all wrapped up into one is what what we do best so i encourage anybody to come out and take a look at it and view all of our cryptids <laughs> whenever you want well uh, you've got me convinced I, i'm sure storm is already planning his trip but uh this sounds great but yeah, I um, well, well, i'm out out. there i gotta get my publicist reach out so i can do a book signing up there we all team one up with Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. We'd love to. Absolutely. We do that too. So Excellent. that'd be great. Well, this is unfortunately the point of the show. We're going to have to start winding down. But we call this part of the show the plugs as well. And Joey, you just uh, gave a great plug for the Curioporium. What are some of the websites and social medias where people can get more information? You are a year-round attraction, so you don't have to wait until October to go. But where can uh, people find more information about that? Absolutely. So uh, our main website is curioporium.com. I'm hoping that this will be part. It's it's not the easiest thing to spell, but it is. hopefully it'll be part of the uh, um, introduction here on your podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of everywhere except for Twitter. So, you know, <laughs> look us up. Uh, definitely on uh, Facebook and Instagram are, are a great place to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. We even have a YouTube where we have all of our story videos that go up. So we have, we, we take the time to make really uh, wonderful three to five minutes uh, pieces with our characters that tell the story of the Havisham vault and the history behind it. So uh, you can look us up on YouTube as well. Excellent. And it is Curioporium. I'm sure you can figure out the spelling on that. And we'll have something in our intro. Uh, Mark, where can people get more information about your books and anything else you need to plug? Well, sadly, Hellview Cemetery is no more. So the website for that is in the Internet Archives, but you can find it if you dig. Uh, there's video still up on YouTube for it for over the years. But uh, my stuff is uh, at Erie Travels on all the uh, social medias or at Erie Florida, because uh, most of my stuff was Florida up until recently with Erie Appalachia coming June 20th. Uh, you can find my books anywhere. Fine books are sold. If you go direct from us, you, my wonderful wife will uh, do a little doodle in it and I'll uh, sign it for you. And uh, you can order that from the Erie Florida or Erie Travels website. And uh, you can also find us like everywhere. That's the scary thing. If you're in Florida, you go to any CVS or Walgreens, my books are there. If you go to any Cracker Barrel, my books are there. My publisher loves us. So they put us absolutely everywhere. And hopefully with Erie Appalachia, we'll be spreading up uh, you know, through the mountains and up to the East Coast because uh, we go all the way up to Quebec. Most people don't realize the Appalachians go all the way to Quebec. Uh, and we hit all the fine states uh, that we could find, all the weird, creepy monsters in that. So 
plenty of inspiration for you for you folks. Uh, there's some monsters in there that I know have never been published before, and I'm so excited uh, to get put to share them with people. So now, you, now you had mentioned two books: Thirty-One Tales of Hellview Cemetery and Erie, Florida. Is Erie Appalachia your third book? Actually, I did. Uh, Erie, Florida was our first one for History Press. That became a big bestseller. So we got to do Freaky Florida, where we got to do deeper dives and off the beaten path and scarier places and some things we debunked were still cool historically. And then our third book for History Press was Creepy Florida, which was all paranormal locations, all ghosts, because they demanded a ghost book from us. I'm like, all right, twist my arm. I'll write about haunted houses. Uh, but now Erie Appalachia is... I guess that's our fourth book from them. And hopefully it hits the bestseller. All the other three have hit the bestseller list, which is crazy. And I got to say it was Chris Colstrom who inspired me to write all this. Once the haunt got shut down, her book was all about travels and going to around the world. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the urban legend places in my area. And so I told Chris, I miss her a ton and, and she deserves all the credit. So we we'll love do. Chris. She's been a great friend of the show and hopefully we'll catch up with her soon. But unfortunately, Time is short, and somehow we're going to have to say goodbye. We need to have both of you on again at a future show and talk more about cryptids with a part two because I know Storm has just barely scratched the surface, as well as Jim and everyone else. But we could not do this without thanking Mark Muncy down in St. Petersburg, Florida, and Joey Marsacci of Hartford, Connecticut. Hope I didn't butcher that. And we want to thank you guys for being here on the Big Scary Show and also want to thank our great co-hosts, including the aforementioned Storm. You know, I think the best part of the entire conversation tonight is that my other three co-hosts can take something away from it for actor training. And that mainly is you have that problem actor. You can now make a scene where they have to shave a wild man 40 times a night. <laughs> I, I am bringing that up at my next workshop. That's going to be fantastic. And speaking of shaved apes, we have Meat Hook Jim. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to just thank our, our guests because I was able to tell my skunk ape story without getting a weird look. <laughs> yeah, th this is just par for the course on a, on a typical roundtable night, so we're good this with that. This is a safe space, man. I got my tinfoil hat and everything. We're good. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I hope your books come with a free sheet of tinfoil. Also want to thank down in Arkansas, the old crone, Jana. Well, I didn't, I'm just trying to figure out why I haven't thought after seven years of putting up a nice big painting of Loch, uh, the Loch Ness and some things like that to help push the uh, host Scottish theme. So I'm going to have to get to work on that, but I've really enjoyed tonight, guys. It has been a pleasure for everyone. My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte. I do want to mention off topic, we are recording this over Memorial Day weekend. So I want to thank the vets who made the ultimate sacrifice and were not able or are not able to listen to this very podcast. You are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show.
meets Halloween and haunts. We are a creepy collection. Let us deliver our passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com. Now that's creepy. Go. Hello, everybody. Drew Badger here, live at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when you walk into this place, if you look up, oh my goodness, it's one of those 12-foot skeletons that everybody loves for the last few years, looking for uh, home decorations and everything. Had to come over here and see, are they giving it away in a raffle? What's going on with a giant 12-foot skeleton? Oh, God, it's looking at me now. But this is a very interesting charity. It is called Skeletons for St. Jude. It helps raise money for St. Jude's, which everybody knows is a great organization that helps kids. I've got Jeff Robertson here. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks tell, for stopping by. Tell me a little bit about what Skeletons for St. Jude is. How'd you get started and how are you helping kids through St. Jude's with this? So Skeletons for St. Jude is a collective group of haunters that decorate their homes and they put a sign in their front yard asking folks that if they like what they see to consider donating money to St. Jude so that children that are in the hospital sick can recover and get out and see all these great things that they're seeing. We started two years ago after getting picked up on the news, uh, ABC, and that night we decided that maybe we could use the, the news broadcast to do something good. So we put a sign in our front yard asking people to consider, to donate, consider donating, and it went over very well. Uh, we raised several thousand dollars the first year. This last year we decided to go nationwide, and we got on the Facebook, created a Facebook group, uh, and then we recruited 400 teammates and ended up raising $151,000 for St. Jude. And Home Depot wow. uh, donated $45,000, which is awesome because a lot of the products we use are from Home Depot. Um, and so this year we're excited. Uh, we believe we can raise a quarter of a million in total since the start of this. So we're looking for folks that decorate their homes who are willing to just put a sign in their front yard. Uh, join us on Facebook or go to our website, and uh, we'd love to have you on the team. So it's just that simple. You know, I'm a yard designer, yard decorator, or a home haunter. You don't have to be a professional. I put a sign out here saying, you know, if you like what you see, donate to St. Jude's. Here's the websites to do that. It's just that simple, correct? That's right. It's that simple. And uh, 100% of the money goes to St. Jude. We don't keep anything. There's no processing fees. It doesn't go through my hands. It goes directly to St. Jude. So you just send them, like, a copy of a sign for them to print out and hang in their yard, or do you send them the actual sign, or how does that work? Yeah, so what we will do this year is uh, on our Facebook group, if you're a Facebook member, or on our website, there will be a PDF file that you can download. On the PDF will be a QR code, and everybody will have the same QR code. When a visitor scans a QR code, it opens up the St. Jude uh, fundraising platform, and that's where you can donate. Oh, that is that is so simple, and yet such a clever way to raise money. And St. Jude, of course, has children's hospitals around the country, and it's just a great organization. It, it is, and uh, in this during this process, uh, when we started, you know, I, I never met any any little people that had cancer uh, until uh, the end of our first campaign, and I, I met a, a little girl who was going through treatment, and, and it was a St. Jude family, and. Uh, you know, she could tell she was going through some tough times, but when she was looking at all our goofy skeletons in our yard, she was just smiling and, and having the time of her life. So that was pretty moving, and, and at that time I decided to do this as long as we could to support St. Jude or any organization that, uh, that 
that addresses uh, childhood cancer, pediatric cancer. So if I'm a yard display person or a home haunter or somebody that just wants to get involved, you said there was a Facebook group. How can I join that Facebook group? Or what are the websites where maybe I can get one of these signs to hang in my own yard? Sure. So uh, on Facebook, if, they, if you go to Skeletons for St. Jude, it's a private Facebook group. Just request to be approved. I'm the reviewer, the only one. I'll, re- I'll approve it. If you are uh, not a Facebook user, go to our website. And the website name's a little different. It's called Skeletons for Hope, uh, but it is Skeletons for St. Jude. It's just the URL is a little different. And we will have the information there also to get assigned and get involved. Is that a .com or a .org? It is a .org. So skeletonsforhope.org. Yeah, that's correct. Skeletonsforhope.org. So for anybody that is a yard display person, and I see those everywhere, I mean, even if it's just a small graveyard, you can be a part of this. You can raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospitals. Very worthy cause. Go on their Facebook page. Check that out. And like you said, last year over $150,000 was raised. They're looking for a quarter million this year. You can donate as well. Skeletonsforhope.org. Jeff, a pleasure to have you here on The Big Scary Show. Thank you for taking your time to talk, come by and talk to us. <laughs> Absolutely, and I wish you nothing but success. And, and this big, scary skeleton here just keeps looking around, and, oh, God, it's looking at me again. Once again, folks, my name is Drew Badger. I'm down here at the Carolina Fear Fest, Raleigh, North Carolina, getting stared down by a skeleton, and we're out. Awesome, Drew. Health experts still aren't sure how humans are being infected. This day, the virus is Wednesday 13, come out and play. Exclusive on The Big Scary Show.
Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We are live at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina, my old stomping grounds. You never know what's going to happen when you walk up to a vendor and you're looking at stuff. I'm sitting here having some shopping vibes here and I run into a guy that happens to be a vocalist with a band Beyond Silence based out of Florida. Listen to one of his tracks here. It's awesome. You might be hearing his music on the show in the very near future. Who can say? But I got Stevie here from Beyond Silence out in the Florida hot and humidity and everything. You came up here and it's still hot and humid, but how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. And Florida humidity is brutal, just like our music. <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. You, you can't deny the metal scene in Florida is amazing. Death Angel and so many other just, you know, the black metal, the doom metal, the death metal, the, you know, you name it. But uh, tell us a little bit about Beyond Silence. How would you describe the music and some of the uh, stuff that you got coming out? Well, our music kind of runs the gamut of uh, radio-friendly stuff all the way to uh, hardcore heavy metal. We like to touch on a lot of dark subjects, you know, the typical everyday cookie-cutter stuff like murder and mayhem. Murder, death, Satan. Serial killers. Mass mayhem, genocide, all that stuff. You were telling me that you had an interesting songwriting experience while you were sitting there watching uh, shows about serial killers, and it inspired you to write a song. Actually, it inspired our latest single called Still Life. I do a lot of good wordplay on having to do with shallow graves and finding remains. And you think of still life as being paintings of like fruit. Yeah, there's a banana and an apple. Fruit. Exactly. Boom. Well, in this case, it's still life. It's all that remains. It's a remains in a grave. So it's still life. you, you got to love double meanings, especially if you don't catch it at first. It might take you a few listenings. But, uh, exactly. I mean, uh, the song's great. Classic lyric is... Uh, you had one life to give. I took that life to live. Misery is so sweet unless it's mine. It's pure poetry to metalheads like myself. you got to love it. So tell us about the uh, metal scene in Florida where you're at. I mean, I know Rockville just happened a few weeks ago, and, you know, there's just a thriving metal community down there. Uh, the metal scene's great in Florida right now. There's a lot of different styles of metal bands from straightforward hair metal all the way to metalcore. Screamcore, deathcore, groove metal, just about anything you could imagine. There's lots of great promoters there. There's still, fortunately, some great clubs that still cater to original music. So if the bands are out there, there's definitely places for them to play in Florida. Yeah, unfortunately, up where I live in the Charlotte area, it is um, very hard to find venues these days. A lot of COVID closings and a lot of other stuff like that. But there's still a thriving underground scene, and, and we're very happy about that. So Beyond Silence, you just put a single out. Do you have anything coming out as far as an EP or a full album or anything? Uh, we just got out of the studio. We've got six tracks recorded. We're thinking about doing a full length, but we're probably going to release the six as an EP just to get things going. 
Uh, the summer market is opening up right now. Promoters have some shows lined up. We do have some national tour schedule coming up in October, but we're going to fill in show dates between now and then. Excellent. For people wanting more information about the band Beyond Silence and some of the uh, tour dates, are you doing a national or regional? What are you doing? Uh, we're doing regional right now. Okay. Hopefully it'll turn into national by the end of the year. How can people get more information with websites, social medias, etc.? cetera? Uh, you can go to Beyond Silence Orlando at Gmail is our email address. And just a basic Facebook page. Just look up Beyond Silence and it'll take you straight to us. We'll be the first one in the search engine. Excellent. Stevie, thank you for taking the time to speak to us here at the Big Scary Show, who is here at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, thankfully, the building is air-conditioned because it is getting hot and sticky out there. Not Florida hot and sticky. Not Florida. No, Raleigh, Raleigh is a whole different thing from Florida. But here we are having a good time at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh. My name is Drew Badger for The Big Scary Show, and we are out. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from Hunstrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. <laughs> it's time for Ask the Old Crone. <laughs> In this episode, we are going to talk about adding security to your haunted attraction. How much security you need at your venue will depend on several things. Size of haunt, location, demographic, and your level of comfort. Some haunts get more drunks. Some are in sketchy areas. Some get teenage punks who like to start trouble. I was not surprised to see the increase in vendors at Transworld with security equipment like metal detectors. Every haunt should have, at minimum, security cameras and well-thought-out protocols, complete with training for your actors so they know what to do in different scenarios. The next option is adding security personnel. A. You can hire your own security team. I would recommend someone mature, confident, and level-headed. Create a security shirt so that they are easily identified as both part of your staff as well as security. Make sure they have the equipment they need, such as a radio, flashlight, and it's up to you to make sure they have adequate training and guidelines. To quote Patrick Swayze, know how to be nice until it's time not to be nice. Option B would be to hire someone from a security company. This would give you someone specifically trained, and you have backup resources if they were to call in sick. Typically, they have their own equipment, but make sure they are familiar with your venue and your safety protocols. Option C, hire local off-duty police officers. To be honest, I didn't know how to go about this, but thanks to a local haunter friend who was also a police officer, he got me in the right direction. 
So let me preface this by clearly saying that the following information is based on research performed in my local area. You will need to contact your local police department to get rates and regulations to find out how to go about hiring an off-duty police officer. Now, my local police department allows you to do an application for an off-duty officer on their website. It clearly states the rates and regulations. Some of the general rules to keep in mind, even though all departments are going to be a little bit different, is officers are prohibited from enforcing house rules. For example, no one under the age of 13 can go through my haunt without an adult. But it's not up to the officer to enforce that. Only if we get someone who has an issue with that. Officers cannot refuse to assist any citizen requesting or needing assistance. They are expected to take necessary action in an attempt to assist the citizen by calling on-duty officers, taking reports, effecting arrest, or providing any other service related with the duties of a police officer. Now, arrests that are made while engaging in secondary employee or your, your haunt will be turned over to an on-duty patrol for transport. From what I'm hearing from other haunt owners is that the mere presence of a police officer or security personnel will curtail a lot of issues. I've not had to quote security before, but with my haunt growing in attendance every year and with current events, seriously considering it this year. We only need to look at the news to see that the scariest monsters are of the human variety. So let's, as an industry, do our best to keep our staff and our guests safe this year. Until next time, don't forget to stir the cauldron. When will man ever learn that when he pollutes the air and the water, he declares war against nature? American International Pictures presents Frogs, the story of the day nature strikes back. See Frogs in color, rated PG. Frogs, today the pond, tomorrow the world. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We are live at the Carolina Fear Fest in Raleigh, North Carolina, my old stomping grounds. I used to live about 15 minutes from the very structure we're in, the Jim Graham building at the State Fairgrounds. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's hot. It's humid. It's delightfully air-conditioned today, unlike maybe yesterday when we walked in the building, but it's been a great time so far. Crowds are great, and I've got the organizer of the Carolina Fear Fest, Stephanie Freeze, with us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Sounds like your voice is a little bit weaker, much better than the last time we talked, where you were, could not basically talk at all, but that's because I'm sure you've been so busy and putting out fires and talking to everybody. I know it's hard to keep your voice up in a thing like this, but how has Carolina Fear Fest 2022 compared to the previous years? Uh, well, we've definitely upped our game quite a bit on our guest list. Uh, we've got a, a lot of really fantastic guests this year, and we're hoping that trend continues on all of our future shows as well. Um, the attendance is definitely up, I think, over last year, and everybody seems to be super excited. And we, we changed our programming a little bit, so we extended our show to that third day. So we added our kind of Friday night preview night where we had a little bit of fun and some live music and I really think that kind of changed the uh, the atmosphere and the energy of the show just to kick it off. 
like like we spoke before, I know Friday was pretty much VIP only, and a lot of people were here for that. And you had the live music, great bands, by the way. I enjoyed that, and it was it was a lot more relaxed. You know, some of the celebrities were here, some were not, but they were chatting longer times with people because it wasn't as crowded as it is now. So I'm hoping that that does stay a permanent part of Carolina Fear Fest, and I look forward to the ex- to that even expanding next year. So. That, that's the hope. Um, it definitely throws a bit of a wrench in travel trying to get everybody in on a fr- in time for a Friday night, uh, which is why we had a few snags as far as having all of our folks here in time. Um, but it, it, like I said, it is a, a little bit more of an informal, um, more of a hangout party kind of a, a atmosphere with the bands and that chance to chat more and get your shopping in early, all of those things, yeah. And speaking of shopping, it looks like your vendor list has increased this year. It looks like you've got more space for vendors. Still got a little bit of room to expand to the back of the building here, so I assume that only in the next few years you'll do nothing but fill this room up. That's the expectation. We're trying to find a happy balance between having as many vendors as we could fit in here and making sure that not everybody is squished up next to a stage that might be a little bit loud at times because I don't want to hurt the vendors and and their sales and make it difficult for them to to function for the weekend. So uh, definitely something we're looking at, how to to work through that. Well, maybe like at Transworld where you have a quiet zone that you could keep over there for certain people that need a little bit of quiet versus the loud zone which with all the things going off and everything so we can talk about that off the air obviously but uh you know it looks like for all intents and purposes it's going to be a yet another successful carolina fear fest so i'm guessing that by looking at this alone they will be back in 2023 that is that is absolutely our plan we've already kind of got a short list running on guests which i'm not going to drop any names yet sure. because we have nothing confirmed um but we've we've got some some more great surprises and, and a lot of plans that we've had in place over the last few years that we haven't been able to implement over COVID and some other things that we've run into. And we're really, we, we've got everything sketched out, just ready to deploy. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I want to congratulate you again for what looks like another successful Carolina Fear Fest. Once again, Memorial Day weekend at the NC State Fairgrounds here in Raleigh. So it's not too early to make your plans for next year. It's not too early to start checking out the website in a few weeks or you know whenever some maybe some early guest announcements come through but um for people wanting more information maybe see some photos of this year i assume people are posting on a various social medias what are the websites where people can get info um our main website is carolinafearfest.com uh we're on facebook and instagram same name carolina fear fest and if you're looking for the content from this show Hashtag Carolina Fear Fest 22 is where everybody's been tagging their various photos and videos. Hashtag Carolina Fear Fest 22. Stephanie Freeze, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you again for giving the Big Scary Show an opportunity to come out here and cover it. And, of course, we'll see you in 2023. Absolutely. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. So nice to be here again. Love coming back to my old hometown every now and then. So, once again, folks, CarolinaFearFest.com. Too late to see him this year, but you can always make your plans for next. My name is Drew Badger, Big Scary Show, and we're out. Dirty Dead, meet me at the morgue on the Big Scary Show.
your actors, your props, yourself. If they're worth dressing right, they're worth Von Karen. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Boncaron.com. V-O-N-C-H-A-R-O-N.com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Creepy Collection. Dark Imaginings. Fright Finder. Haunt Pay. Von Caron Productions. And VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and more, rabidbadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at wrestlehorror.com. And Storm, Rants and more, hauntminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.